Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. First of all, I want to thank everyone who's been with us for this year and years in the past. This is a passion and something that I've had the great pleasure of enjoying over many years. I spent some time reviewing some of the, the past work, past articles, past prospects uh, that we've had the pleasure of, of meeting and getting to know and things like that. We now are in bowl season for college football about not even a week, uh, less than a week, about six days, I guess, from the beginning of the college football playoffs only a few weeks from the NFL playoffs, and of course, just nine days away from the end of the year of 2018, a year that has been filled with a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of changes, a lot of challenges, a lot of everything uh, that, that many the year can be filled with. Uh, this year has been filled with much of that for me. So... I'm hoping that all of you have been blessed with health and if not wealth in the sense of monetary riches and wealth in the sense of wisdom, kindness, and being surrounded by love. Uh, my co-host Jim Coburn will be joining us momentarily and we're going to talk about the season of giving, which will include uh, passing along gifts to various NFL franchises. Some, some can use gifts uh, more or worse than others. And I believe I've been joined by the one, the only, Geometrix, uh, or as I call him, Geometricloss, James Coburn. How are you doing, Jim? Uh, pretty good. Excellent, excellent. Well, first of all, if I don't speak to you, I probably won't speak to you, but if I don't speak to you between now and uh, Christmas, I wish you and yours a very happy, healthy, wealthy, if not monetarily, then wealthy in terms of love and happiness, uh, Christmas. Oh, yeah, you as well. And thank you, and uh, a blessed holiday season to all. So in this season of giving, you and your uh, statistical and metrical elves have been busy uh, scurrying around, gathering information, packaging it up, wrapping it, putting a bow on it and all that. And I wanted to spend some time on that to figure out, explore, et cetera, what this means uh, to there's 32 NFL franchises, some of whom have shown they understand this gift and appreciate this gift that comes to them on draft list. Some don't seem to understand it, and some end up with a lump of coal. So let's talk a little bit about draft list, uh, what it represents to those 32 NFL franchises how some of them treat it differently, why some of them treat it differently, and then we'll talk about gifts we'd like to give. We'll spend a little bit of time also on talking a little bit about the bowl season and then moving on towards, uh, you know, who are some of the big, biggest presents or best presents that might be unwrapped, and then what might be or who might be some lumps of coal 
that some teams might actually end up in their stocking. So we know that there's going to be a few teams that are going to, you know, draft this will come early for certain teams. And like it or not, one of those teams obviously is your team, the Oakland Raiders, who have, whether they've been naughty or nice is a whole other, other discussion, I suppose, but they're going to be visited many times uh, on the first day of draftness. What are some of the presents you think they should want to unwrap, hope to unwrap when draftness rolls around? Uh, all the defensive players, <clears throat> or I should say everybody, uh, but uh, this this draft class in particular does look pretty defensive heavy, so I would say defensive players is definitely uh, the way to go. With this Among players, uh, who are some of those that you think would be best, maybe in terms of uh, their fit, uh, or maybe it's in terms of their, you know, how big a gift they might be based on what's going to happen in the future. Right. Uh, I would I'd say Queen and Williams, Jeffrey Simmons, uh, Ed Oliver, oh, yeah, Josh good. Allen, uh, Polite, Brian Burns even, uh, in terms of pass rushers, of course, Devin White, that linebacker be a pretty decent uh, you know, selection as well. Because the Raiders really haven't had a great linebacker since a while. So it's been a while since they've actually had a decent uh, middle linebacker uh, at the position. And then, of course, uh, of course, a lot of them McClay didn't work out for, you know, various reasons. But, um, but yeah, and cornerback, maybe Greedy Williams, maybe Byron Murphy, and of course safety, uh, Juan Thornhill is the best test. But that's the that's the crazy thing about the safety classes is all the top safeties for the most part don't even have the best data in this class. So it's gonna be kind of an interesting safety class for sure. Just from you know, looking at initial rankings of safeties. Right. Yeah, I, we've talked about the, the safety crisis. I, I'm going to write at some point a long-form piece sort of detailing, at least from when I became aware, you know, of the position that we wanted to be the position that I would play, the, the safety position, what, what happened to this once proud position, uh, both in college and the NFL. But those all are, are things that seem logical. Some other teams for whom draftsmiths will come early, and in some cases, often. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals are another team that has seemed to be in, in draft season for a couple of months already. They have their quarterback. I mean, that's the thing that you always sort of hang your hat on when you're a team like the Arizona Cardinals. Well, we have our, we have our quarterback. Uh, sadly, they have little else. Uh, they have a, a Hall of Fame cornerback in Patrick Peterson who is not in, towards the end of his career, but he's toward the end of, of the prime of his career, I probably is a fair way to say it. He probably has another two or three years of playing at a very, very high level. Uh, obviously, Calais Campbell is now in Jacksonville. Uh, 
Daryl Washington never returned from a, from a combination of physical injury, and I think he also got popped for substances of uh, uh, performance enhancement or whatever. Uh, and I, I can't remember if he applied to be reinstated. I, I don't know. He seems to have fallen off the edge of the planet, or maybe his injuries were so severe he could not return. Uh, Dion Buchanan is a very fine football player, but as you and I have talked about in the past, playing out of position, a very turbulent playing out of position, uh, I guess. I mean, I don't see anybody proposing to move him back well, to his more natural position. Yeah, that's... Let's let's just let's just break open the issue with the Cardinals. The Cardinals issue has always been drafting. Because yeah. even under Bruce Arians, who's a great head coach, knows how to call offenses, their team's drafting prowess has not been the best, to say the least. I mean let's let's just go down memory lane. Let's let's go back to twenty fourteen. So the twenty fourteen class. Dion Buchanan was their first round pick, and Dion Buchanan is a great player. They turned him into I'm a linebacker you. for some reason when he did safety. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, they did that. Uh, Troy Nicholas was their tight end, which oh my God. I haven't heard yeah. anything. I Now, he's not St. Nicholas. He's Troy Nicholas, so there's a difference there. Um, there's no magic to be found with Troy Nicholas. Uh, Kareem oh. Martin at the end, who they turned into a 3-4 DN because reasons, you know, because they were running a 3-4 defense. Right, yes, I remember him, yes. John Brown, wide receiver, who had some success, you know, kind of a deep threat. You know, he worked right. out. Logan Thomas. He's with a different team, but he's playing well. Okay. Ed Stinson, from Alabama. Oh wow! Yeah, and then Walt Powell, who honestly I think he only got invited to the Shrine Game because he had a great agent, you know, <laughs> from Murray State. But then we yeah, get to twenty. But then we get to twenty fifteen again. This is a Bruce Arians team, and I'm, yeah. I'm also putting Steve. Steve, you know. The GM on the, the hot seat as well. DJ Humphreys is your top pick in 2015 at tackle. Not a good start. Uh, Marcus Golden is an edge rusher. T- they took him in the second round. And believe me, they got some production out of Marcus Golden. But, you know, eh. uh, David Johnson, of course, was, was a great pickup for them as a running back. So they've had some hits here and there. Uh, Shaq Reddick. Fifth round, J.J. Nelson at wide receiver, who they've had some success with. Uh, Gerald Christian at tight end hasn't really been the best. Of course, they got Ronnie Gunter. But then you get to 2016, Bill, where Robert Candice is your top pick. Candice is probably one of the least productive interior defensive linemen drafted in the first round in decades, if not the least productive ever at the position. <laughs> Like I, I because it just you don't see this, you know. Like and I, uh, it's just crazy to me. And, and then of course you get to the Brandon Williams at cornerback, which didn't make any sense to me um, from a film perspective or even a data perspective. Um, and of course you get to you know, Evan Bohem, who's kind of been decent. And then uh, I guess you get to the 
2017 class just to kind of speed it up a bit. You, you know, they got Hassan Reddick, who I felt was a little high. I mean, he, he is a good player, but they drafted him 13th overall. You get Buda Baker, you get Chad Williams, uh, Dorian Johnson, who was cut uh, pretty very quickly within like a year. He was gone uh, for them, and then of course in 2018 they got Josh Rosen and all the other stuff. So. If I'm the Cardinals and I'm looking for drastic, they really need to start with that offensive line. Um, that's a severely neglected area for them. Um, I don't know much about this offensive line class. I mean, I really haven't seen too many of the players, um, but that's definitely a need. Pass rushers, I would say. Stop, stop it. Well, hold on. I'll just make a quick comment. Stop me heard this before. Um, if you want guards or centers, it's actually a pretty darn good class. I'm not wild about okay. the tackles. The left tackles look like right tackles, and the right tackles look like big full guard. Okay. Well, load up on interior offensive linemen because I think the biggest – I mean, to me, interior offensive linemen is, is the foundation of your offensive line. So start with those types of guys. I mean, they really don't necessarily need pass rushers because sacks hasn't really been their issue on defense. Their issue on defense has been their secondary. So I think if they look at cornerbacks, safeties, those types of positions, they're probably going to lose Patrick Peterson um, in the offseason just because he's kind of fed up with the team, um, which I would be as well. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, so yes, he would. So Patrick Peterson obviously is going to go to another team. He might go to the Saints. He might go to, you know, which he went to the Saints. That would actually be pretty amazing. Um, the Texans would probably be a good landing spot for him as well, you know, to go to kind of a young team that's kind of like right there um, that has a really good young quarterback, uh, or even the Browns for that matter. I mean, imagine Patrick Peterson on the Browns, right? You know, they can make on all that sort of stuff. really would prefer to imagine in Pittsburgh, but sure, I'm worth two. Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pittsburgh. Um, you already got your cornerbacks, Bill. But, yeah, Patrick Peterson is obviously going to be gone uh, at some point. I mean, that's just what the writing on the wall says. He, he may stay, but I really don't think he's going to pull Larry Fitzgerald, you know. Like, I'm the same with the team through thick and thin, you know, which I kind of got a little kind of fast. Um, you know, for his career. But, yeah, I, I feel like with the Cardinals, offensive line, I think, is the biggest thing for them because you have a young quarterback, you need that help. I mean, wide receivers, you could definitely see them drafting a wide receiver. There's a lot of different options in this class at that position. I mean, wide receivers are always going to be deep. I don't think there's ever going to be a class where there's not one or two contributors at the wide receiver position. Um, and this class is a pretty strong group of wide receivers. Um, so far, so I really don't think that's going to be an issue for them. But I do think offensive line, particularly interior offensive line, is where they really need to focus, you know, for them. But um, those have been the biggest issues for them. Sacks hasn't been the issue. Chandler Jones has had a very good season this year, because, you know, being a pass rusher for them. Um, it's just their secondary has been the biggest issue. You know, that's been the weak link with their uh, defense. Right. All right. So, now there are some other teams that 
have either officially or unofficially, uh, the draft giving season has already arrived for them. Uh, San Francisco. Now, San Francisco, even though the the results have been sort of the same or slightly, only slightly better for San Francisco than Arizona or Oakland, the feeling is so radically different. That team feels different. Yes, they're four and ten. I've I've watched them play, and they are clearly a four and ten team. But despite losing a running back they signed in free agency and Jarrett McKinnon, they discovered as Thankfully, now everyone has discovered Matt Breda, who you and I discussed back when he was a prospect, who was productive, powerful, not undersized at all. I mean, 218 or so pounds, I believe, about 5'10 and 3 quarters. I mean, I never understood why he didn't get more love. Maybe the, the offense? I don't know. But he was super productive, big, strong, and fast. And for whatever reason, it took an injury to Jarek McKinnon for even San Francisco to realize apparently what they had in, in Matt Breda. Uh, they supposedly have their quarterback in, in um, Jimmy Garoppolo, but you fired off some warning flares about who or what Jimmy Garoppolo was, or perhaps was not. Even we don't know what he is. Right. We have yeah. no idea. Yes. Right. I mean, he's been a backup. You paid a backup quarterback $100 million in the offseason, and he hasn't even started a full season of football. Yes. And well, he hasn't even started a season of football with an injury. Right. Well, I've now seen roughly the same amount of both guys, and I like, I like Mullins better. Now, I could be wrong. It could be a function of confirmation bias or small sample size or who knows what. But if there's a huge difference between the two, I'm missing it. Well, Jimmy Garoppolo is a is a much more handsome prospect, but that's really about it. That's the only difference between them. I mean, I just don't understand why you pay a quarterback that much and he hasn't even started a full season football. Right. You know. Doesn't mean he's, I mean, with the 49ers, I mean. I my big issue is one to get rid of Eric Armstead. It was a bad pick from the beginning, and it's still a bad pick now um, for them. You don't turn him into an offensive tackle or do something crazy like that, which I, you know. Um, I think the one of the biggest issues they took a lot of risk on certain players, yes. especially in 2017. Yes, uh, you know, is. getting Ruben Foster. Yeah, you know, everybody was super excited about that pick. And again, I just feel like when you get warning signs, I know a lot of times you go, oh, that's just agents blowing smoke and this and that. But sometimes I think if you hear a warning about a player and you hear it again and you see more red flags and more red flags, you just have to step back from that guy. It's like Randy Gregory. You know, it's, it's a number of different guys where if there's one red flag and then another red flag pops up and then another red flag pops up, then you have to start to worry and especially at Alabama where they keep stuff really tight in-house there. You know, like if a player has issues with those types of things, you don't even hear about it until they get arrested in the NFL, you know, um, with a lot of those guys. So it's true. Like I bet guys like Ruben Foster and Alana McLean, they, they probably at one point were pulled over by police officers or had some kind of incident that happened in Alabama. But – 
if you're an Alabama fan in, in Alabama and you pull over a linebacker or whatever, you're going to be like, oh, it's Reuben Foster. Okay. Uh, you know, call up Saban and go, yeah, Saban, we got your linebacker here. Uh, he was uh, driving intoxicated. Uh, you know, we, and yeah, we goes, well, I'll, I'll deal with him. I'm going to send him. I'm going to keep him out of practice for a week, and we're going to discipline him, and we're going to do this and do that. Okay, that sounds fair. I like what you're doing there, Saban. You know? <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm not saying that's happened before, but I, I don't doubt it, that there is some bias with Alabama police officers and Alabama football players. I, I'm not shocked to hear that. And I, once again, off air, we can go into some other college towns where I know I've had conversations with people who have had conversations with the local constabulary in certain college towns where they've explained their philosophy, you know, off the record, obviously, but their philosophy is dealing with, yeah, okay, moving on. Um, San Francisco definitely rolled the dice on several players who either because of health history, behavioral history, um, production or lack thereof, they, yeah, and sometimes, you know, they did win some of those gambles, but as you pointed out, many of them did turn out snake eyes. And, of course, Solomon Thomas is someone that was, you know, interior pass rusher at the college level, and then they turned him into an edge rusher, which is always going to be a learning curve with that position. So, um, right, we've got position, and... I fear we're going to see, despite what we've seen with this, people try to do the exact same thing with Ed Oliver. It's because we don't learn things in the NFL for some reason. For some reason. Yeah. But, I mean, they've had success. I mean, it's not like they haven't had success in their draft. Uh, you know, George Kittle's probably been their biggest success up to this point. Um, you know, Dante Pettis, of course. You know, they. I mean, they're they're not bad. I just feel like they, the quarterback position is definitely a issue. And I, I think this team is still not a very great football team that just happens to have some good players. Like, there's definitely a foundation being built. It's just they're it's a little shaky. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a little shaky. Correct. Uh, their secondary is still not great. Uh, they. They're not exactly world beaters in the, in the way of pass rush. They now, once again, have a hole at linebacker, as we already sort of, you know, mentioned how that happened. They could use, like everyone, really, but they could use more quality offensive line depth, and I would say maybe a starter or two on the offensive line. They could use, in Dante Pettis, I believe they've found their Robin, but they still don't really have their Batman. At wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, the wide receivers are Dante Pettis and Marquise Goodwin. Or Godwin. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Goodwin. Sorry. But, uh, and Mark, right. Yes, and Marquise Godwin is Taylor. So here's what they have. They basically have a team full of slot receivers is what they got. Right. I was going to say, they have Robin. They have uh, The Flash. They have... Um, We'll do another sidekick. Uh, let's see. Robin, uh, Flash, maybe, I don't know. Uh, um, you mean Nightwing? 
Yeah, right. So I guess they have Nightwing, you know, Robin slash Nightwing. They have Flash. They have, uh, you know, I'm trying to some other sort of, like Iron Fist or whatever. Like, you know, they don't have any, they don't have, <laughs> you know, they don't have Superman. You know, they don't have, or even, you know, well, like Batman. Superman have, is in Atlanta. Right, yeah, they don't have that guy. They don't have they don't, right. have, they don't have Baby They don't have Baby Tron. They don't have they don't have Bumblebee even. I mean they've yeah, as you pointed out. They, I mean yeah. So they need that guy. The whoever the main guy is, they don't have that guy. The wide receiver. They have their tight end yeah. George Kimball. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, they can use a lot of things. Uh, a lot of things. Moving on, another team that apparently has young quarterback, the Giants, who are also four and ten. And their four and ten still feels somewhat somewhat different from San Francisco's four and ten. So because because of expectations, I guess four and ten in San Francisco feels like, hey, you know, we're making progress. While the four and ten in in um, with the Jets feels like fire everybody. You know, same record, but a very different response to that same record. Uh, there are people who would like to clean out and get rid of. Everybody. I mean, you know, pretty much everybody. Uh, a lot of Jets fans are complaining about you know, everything, uh, as you might well imagine. They like Sam Darnold. Uh, they don't like much else about their team. They like Jamal Adams on offense. They like on defense. They like Darnold on offense, and not much else uh, from my conversations with Jets fans. Uh, Herndon has turned out to be sort of a pleasant surprise, but in an ideal world, I think they'd like to see him as their other tight end, as their number two, not their number one. Um, yeah, they seem to have a lot of complaints about the rest of the makeup of their team. So, what kinds of what should, mm-hmm. what would you put in the tree for the Jets, uh, Jemetra Claus? Well, they need offensive linemen. Uh, they need wide yep. receivers because, to yep. quote Richard Sherman, a lot of the wide receivers on their team are mediocre wide receivers. Correct. They're not bad. They're not yeah. great. They're just mediocre. You know, right. Well, okay. if Robert is your bell cow, that tells you everything you need to know. Exactly. Uh, the running back position, you know, they could look at that area as well. Um, I know that they were, you know, doing some stuff with uh, with uh, the Brown, Brown, the former Browns uh, running back. Uh, they had control. Uh, they have Elijah McGuire, and they have um, uh, the other Isaiah uh, Crowell. Or Crowell. Yeah, they have, yeah. they have a three-headed three monster. Higher. Yeah. Uh, who's the yeah, but I don't like oh. three-headed monsters. Right, right, right. And then some of, the some of the heads got cut off. So they're, they're not even a three-headed monster situation now because of injury. But, but yes, I agree they could use, in a world where people keep devaluing the running back position, you can find running backs in the gutter. If you check in your couch cushions, you'll find an NFL running back, all that stuff. There are teams that don't have NFL running backs. We're not starting NFL running backs. So if Supposedly, there's running backs. Literally, you step over them. You know, every time you try to 
you know, leave your home, why don't some teams have those? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think they could, I mean, offensive line, wide receivers, uh, tight end position. Uh, their interior defensive line, I think, is fine. I think they need pass rushers. I think, of, you know, yeah. uh, three, four, uh, so like a Josh Allen, for example, would probably be a great pick for them. Um, oh. Or uh, oh, no, I mean, even Sean A. Zaminis. Yeah, no, the Jets, you, know? the, you didn't see a bunch of friends in the Jets community if, if, they, if, you, if that indeed did happen. Because that would be great because you need to have some Josh Allen on Josh Allen action. You know what I'm saying? Josh Allen second Josh Allen. Yeah. Vice versa, that would be pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, Quarterback, definitely. Uh, Safety, uh, probably the free safety position. I mean, I do like what Jamal Adams is doing, but I do think the free safety position could get a boost. The cornerback position, I mean, Morris Claiborne is their starting cornerback, Bill. So that kind of tells you all you need to know. Um, they're secondary, but their offensive line definitely because I mean they're starting left tackle is Kelvin Beecham, Dakota Dozer's their left guard, oh, uh, Brent Poffel, you know is their right tackle. So like offensive line is definitely um, an issue that needs to be addressed. But um, I think the Jets were a bad team last year. They're still a yeah. bad team this year, but I do think that – and you also have to understand something, too. Based on my data since the 1958 NFL season, most 21-year-old quarterbacks are terrible. Yeah. Like, all of them are below average statistically, <laughs> except for yeah. one guy, and uh, and that was uh, Fred Tarkington, you know. Um so, like, if you're 21, you just expect them to be bad, you know, because they're going to be bad if you're that young and you're playing quarterback in the NFL. Right. So, unsurprisingly, the first four teams we mentioned could use almost everything, with the exception of quarterback in some cases. Uh, all of them, with the possible exception of Oakland, are set at quarterback, and you know, I guess we'll discuss that at, at some other point. Uh, I keep hearing that uh, they may be moving on from Carr at the quarterback position, which raises many questions. One is what, why, and two, what's your who, who are you going to find that's better, <laughs> either in the draft or via free agency, who, who, who are you going to get this better? But we'll spend time on that, I guess, in some of the plans. So this brings us to a team that, probably the team that people were least expecting to be discussing this, this quickly as we talk about this as a lineup for their draft miss gifts. The Jacksonville Jaguars, Jim, are also 4-10, and, and their 4-10 feels the most different of all the 4-10. This is a team that, you know, some of the money that floods Vegas every year would being laid down on them playing in, and some people even laying money on them winning this coming Super Bowl. There was money bet by people, some of them professional gamblers, Jim, that the Jacksonville Jaguars would play, and some of them said might win money. Actually, they bet actual money that the Jacksonville Jaguars might win the Super Bowl. They are right. foreign tenants. True, 
But that's what happens when you don't address the quarterback position. Uh, you don't get a replacement for This is my big thing. As I talked to you before, I, I think losing Paul Pazlesny was killer. Like, you know, you basically lose a guy like that, and then you tell Miles Jack to do all those things, and it really becomes evident why Miles Jack is a starting NFL linebacker but not a Hall of Fame NFL linebacker, you know, because he's lost. You're giving him all the duties to have to call plays and, and get people set up and this and that. Like, it's obvious, it's very obvious on film with Miles Jack in college and now that his football IQ is not exactly – where it needs to be for that position. It's not to say he's not talented or he's a bad player. It's just it's just too much for him to to do that. And I think it's a combination of that. But realistically, it's the offense. I mean, the offense didn't really get better. I mean, Blake Bortles stayed at the quarterback position. They lost Allen Robinson in free agency, who was the best wide receiver. So, um, like, they just really didn't improve at all on the offensive side of the football. Um, they had injuries yeah, this year, which I know. And they got worse on defense. Yeah. And they got worse on defense. So, um, as far as drafting goes, I mean, I really, I really don't know how to improve them much other than getting my quarterback, but this is not the class to get well, a quarterback. Yeah, that, Jim. Um, I'm pretty sure that Jacksonville will be very much in the quarterback market. They will probably want to acquire a veteran in free agency and draft one in the upcoming draft. So let's talk briefly at least about their options there. Now everyone keeps bringing up Teddy Bridgewater as if the Saints are going to allow Teddy Bridgewater to hit the open market. I'm not so certain that they will. They might. We'll see. Um, I believe his deal was a one-year deal, so it's a possibility they may let him hit the open market, but I am not 100% convinced of that. I, I think they... As much as I keep hearing all the love they have for Taysom Hill, I can't help but wonder if, well, so if Teddy Bridgewater hits the open market, a lot of people are projecting him there. There's even, because of the Coughlin connection, people keep bringing up Elon Manning's name as the quote-unquote bridge. We'll, talk, we'll, we'll ignore that for a moment and talk about the, the rookies that might be there to draft. Based on what you know about the Jacksonville Jaguars and based on the quarterbacks, that are in this draft class, which one would you wrap up and stick under the tree for the Jaguars? Uh, Dwayne Haskins. That would be nice of you. It would. I mean, he's he, statistically speaking, he's a top quarterback. There is a lot of risk because he's a one-year starter. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, I know people say Mitch Trubisky, Mitch Trubisky, but there's a lot of recency bias with them. I like to see where a guy is five, ten years from now, not two years from now. You know, because yeah. everybody was slam dunking with when Calvin Benjamin was in his first year and second year, people were slam dunking with him. And now, you know, <laughs> where are those people now, right? So um, yeah. I feel like there's still more time to say about Mr. Trubisky, but I think that's the only real question mark of a guy like Dwayne Haskins is just the limited amount of starts. Uh, Herbert, I like. I want him to stay in school, though, because he he just did not have the best season um, this year in particular. Uh, and then, of course, you look at guys. I don't want to say guys, but, you know, Will Greer, 
comes to mind as a potential guy, but I don't really see him as a first rounder. Ryan uh, Finley, his possibility is a day three pick. But I just feel like your Jacksonville, Dwayne Haskins is the quarterback. If you can't get a guy like that, there's definitely a lot of quarterbacks that I think who, if they were given time to develop, they could become starters. But if you're trying to win now, or at least get a lot of success initially, then Dwayne Haskins would probably be the guy to go with, potentially. But then again, you might also get Mitch Trubisky's freshman season as well. So I just think if you're Jacksonville, unfortunately, you might have to start over a little bit. It's either that or get a quarterback in free agency, but there's really not a lot of great options there either. I mean, what, Joe Flacco? Right? That just seems like a lateral move to get a guy like Joe Flacco. But I think Eli Manning is staying in New York at least one more year anyway, and to be maybe to be a bridge to a younger quarterback or whatever. Right. Teddy Bridgewater is a possibility. There's a few other possibilities. Yeah, none of them are, are exactly slammed up, as you pointed out. None of them feel like long-term answers. Okay, that way. There are several people who, who might be. I mean, Bridgewater serve. would be more. Bridgewater would be more of, of a potential launch because he's a younger quarterback. But at the same time, I think, I don't know. My biggest issue with, with Bridgewater coming out was I just felt like there was, I don't know, everybody was like saying he was the next Joe Montana and this and that, and of course the skinny knee yeah. stuff came out and people were doing that. And on film, I just saw some things here and there where I'm like, he doesn't really hit deep throws as well. Like he just seems kind of very short and intermediate area. You know, like, there just seem to be some limitations, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, uh, with a guy like that. So, um, I don't know if it's that as to why he's not found a home or anything, but, I mean, there's still something there with him. I just feel like a guy like Cody Kessler and Teddy Bridgewater are kind of the same type of thing to a certain extent. Sure. Sure. People don't like to hear, but, you know. But yes, I mean, if Austin Davis, Cody Kessler, Josh Johnson, I mean, there's a lot of... And then, of course, there's one last guy. There's one last guy I want to mention, just because yeah. of my tinfoil hat theory, Nick Foles, of course. Now, that would be an exciting tinfoil hat theory, because he would actually bring a certain amount of excitement. Uh, I don't know if he's a huge upgrade. He's a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Right. I do think he's a right. huge upgrade over Blake. But, but here's the reason why. Yeah, over Blake. I don't think he's a Okay. I, I disagree. This is why. Okay. He's an upgrade. Nick Foles. I have, okay, I have tweets from 2013, a while ago, because I'm looking up my Nick Foles tweets from a while ago. And okay. I thought back then that Nick Foles, Everybody was saying he was a system quarterback and, you know, and Chip Kelly made him and this and that and all these other sort of things. I think that Nick Foles is somewhere in between. Is Nick Foles the next Tom Brady? No, he's not Tom Brady. He's not, you know, Peyton Manning or any of those other sort of high-quality guys. At the same time, I think he's someone that can be a franchise quarterback, can be a starting NFL quarterback. But you have to believe in him and not treat him like he's, something that, you know, like it, you can't just have a self-fulfilling prophecy with a guy like that. So I, I just feel like with Nick Foles, I do think he's better than Teddy Kessler. I do think they're, that Kessler 
The library needs better than Cody Kessler. Some limitations. Yeah, I don't know if he's a huge upgrade. He's an upgrade. I don't know if he's a huge upgrade. Right. But I mean, because the issue now is Blake Bortles. I mean, the issue now is Blake Bortles is basically like Jay Cutler without the the elite arm strength, and that gets old fast. If, if you're Jay Cutler with only an above-average arm, yeah, I mean, there's not much to bring the boys. That milkshake will not bring the boys to the yard, Jim. No, it won't. Here's another team that I don't think was expecting to be gathering around uh, the draft list log quite so quickly. The Atlanta Falcons are 5-9. and nine. So best case scenario, uh, if they won two more games, they would they'd be seven and nine. Or worst case scenario, I don't know how you feel about, you know, finish. If you would prefer to finish in the top five, or five or six in the draft, or, you'd, or if you'd be okay with finishing more like eight or nine, but they are one of the teams that's in contention for the number six pick, along with Detroit, the Giants, Tampa Bay, and Buffalo. So the log jam there, and of course it'll sort itself out soon, but. Depending on what happens, they could pick as early as number six, Atlanta. Wow. This is a team that thought they were pretty much right there, sort of like the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think they both went into this season thinking, yes, we have a pretty good chance to play in the Super Bowl. Mm Mm-hmm. And, well, obviously that's what happened. I think I think the Falcons' biggest issue is their defense. Yeah, um, and I think it's something that doesn't get like to be talked about a lot, but their defense is bad. Yeah, um, they their interior defensive linemen, I think, get a little over hyped. You know, I like they're capable, capable of getting pressure in terms of you know working as quarterbacks. They are not good. And all the other things you would want interior offensive, uh, I mean, sorry, interior defensive linemen to do. Like, right. Like defeating double teams, holding up, you know, uh, stymieing runners, uh, stay in their rush lanes, even. Like, sometimes they'll get pressure, mm-hmm. but in getting pressure, they will pressure in such a way that they create a space for a quarterback who's mobile to run or a quarterback who's not mobile to elude them, and still buy time to throw the ball down the field. Yeah. And, of course, you have the disappearing act known as Vic Beasley. Yes. Yes. I remember the Vic Beasley wars. I mean, you and I fought on the same side in the rather vicious Vic Beasley wars of draft Twitter. <laughs> and we got dumped on for a while there, right? We, we, got, we, got, we were treated unkindly for a while there. As people said, right. and he had a season, and he had a season where he had fifteen and a half sacks. I mean, he had yeah. that season. But so far, I mean, five sacks in twenty seventeen, five sacks in twenty eighteen. Yep. So, and based on data, he was a guy that had questionable production from a solo tackle perspective, not only sack perspective, but just solo tackles. Um, you know, which showed up on film because he would basically disappear because. People would overpower him, and then in the run game, and he would just kind of disappear, you know, because he's a smaller guy. You know, he's 
he's legit, like maybe 235 pounds, you know, around there. I mean, it, I mean, it depends on who you talk to. I just remember when he went to the combine, I felt like he was on the juice, you know, he put on like 10 pounds of weight overnight. I don't think he's so right. had veins popping out of his neck. He put on about 15 pounds between the end of the season and the combine. That I do remember. I mean, he had veins popping out of his neck, man. You know what I'm saying? He didn't look like that during the season. He did not, no. So, so there was some fishy business. <laughs> Jamie's <laughs> pretty rough out there. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I just think with Big Beasley, he's, he's a lot like Bruce Irvin in the, in the, in the sense that is he an NFL player? Yeah. Is he a pass rusher? Sure. Is he more of a rotational guy? Yeah. I, I think that you need a full-time pass rusher there, and I don't think Big Beasley is the answer there. Uh, and I just think the defense as a whole has a lot of guys that are specialists, guys that can do one thing really well. You know, Grady Jarrett, of course, can do can pressure the quarterback and do these you know, things really well, but he's he also doesn't do other things really well. Um, so it's I just feel like they just have a bunch of guys who can do one thing really well, but they can't do everything really well. I think that kind of hurts their, their team as a whole on defense. Because their offense, I think it's fine. I mean, they have playmakers. They have Julio Jones. You know, they have, uh, you know, Calvin Ridley, of course, has had a really good season. Justin Hardy, you know, Sanu. Uh, Matt Ryan is not exactly the best quarterback ever, but he's not terrible either. You know, uh, I di- obviously didn't like the top five talk about him at certain points of uh, of his career, but he's definitely uh, serviceable. Top eight is fair. Top five is probably a little yeah. rich. Yeah. Yeah, and of course the running back position has been a little iffy as well, but I just think that's that's I just think that's the issue with Atlanta. I, I just think it's decent. Each of the running backs has win featured, which is one of the issues, is win featured. But when featured, when one of those guys gets the majority of the touches, whoever it is, that guy shows up. When it's Coleman and he gets the majority of the touches, he shows up. When it's Nito Smith, and he gets the majority of the touches, he shows up. And, of course, if it's Freeman, if he gets 24 touches, he shows up. The issue seems to be deciding, one, who is going to get the touches, and then giving him the touches, you know, not having a bunch of guys get 9 to 12 touches. But, you know, once again, I don't want you to go back on your sort of why it is you don't like three-headed monsters kind of thing, but they have – Spread the wealth a lot with their running backs. And so once again, someone's been due to injury. But even when it's not an injury situation, they seem to have some trouble figuring out who they want to be the running back. Mm-hmm. That's true. It worked for me to be Kevin Cole, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> moving, moving on. Uh, so if they were to get a full size, you know, a full size, not a fun size, but a full size pass rusher. Uh, a guy who's 260 something pounds, guy who's six foot three, six foot four, that would probably be helpful it sounds like. Like everyone, they could use at least one or two more quality players on their offense, the offensive line, at least. How do you feel about their tight end situation? Uh, with with uh, who? Austin Hooper. Uh, with the Falcons, before we move on. Oh, how do you feel? Uh, 
he's okay. That's exactly how I reacted to Austin Hooper. He's okay. It feels he, like... You know Tony Gonzalez. No, he's... Yes. That is... Yes. He's all put. He is not Tony Gonzalez. He's, he's not Jason Witt. He's not... There's a long list of people he's not. He's not Greg Olson. Yeah. He's definitely not Greg Olson. He's like a he's bigger person than He's just a guy. Yeah. So that's the other thing. It's not a big, right. It's not a, a big need, but I would I would suggest if it were up to me, I would suggest at some point addressing the tight end position with a tight end <laughs> uh, with, uh, with with someone who might be able to give them a little more consistency, if, if nothing else, from the positions they have received from Austin Hooper. But yeah, they're obviously set at wide receiver. There are a lot of some people say it's the best wide receiver. Once again, there's always a lot of debate on who has the best wide receiver core in the NFL, but their team is one of the names that's mentioned for that. They have a lot of skill position talent. They have some names on their defense, as you just pointed out, but they seem to lack uh, some game in their defense, even though they have names. They have some name, but not that much game. Mm-hmm. And well, that brings us to the Detroit Lions. And this is uh, a team with a, must be a sort of an odd five and nine, where they've looked really good at times, but those times have been few and far between. Obviously, everyone remembers what they did to the Patriots, and they just have not been able to put two good games together at any point, frankly. You mean the Dolphins? Uh, I've done to the Dolphins yet. Right now, I'm still on the uh, Detroit Lions. Oh, the Lions. Yes. Well, the Lions issue is, quite frankly, they... That's where to put this. They seem to be trying to take an analytical approach to drafting their team. Their issue is they don't know how to take all that information and put it all together for the big picture. So they've been looking at cornerbacks and they've been trying to get cornerbacks to have long arms. The only thing they know is that cornerbacks who have longer arms typically do better, but they don't understand that it's cornerbacks with longer arms who are also productive, who also have good athleticism traits. If that makes any sense. They're looking at one piece of the puzzle and going, that's, that's the ticket. And it hasn't really worked out for them. Right. It's like after I mean, a quarterback to five because a bunch of other quarterbacks who were six to five have been good. Yeah, and that's how I feel with with the Lions. I think they try to draft with that in mind. They try to get players with with those kind of things in mind, and they don't really put everything together to see what the big picture is with with each individual data point. It's like with their offensive linemen. They typically draft offensive linemen that have long arms that are tall, you know, six foot seven, six foot eight, et cetera, because they, they know that big offensive linemen typically do well. Now they don't know that it's, off, it's big offensive linemen with great athleticism traits, but that's besides the point. They at least get one aspect of things, but they don't get every aspect of things. It basically means that based on that method, they'll hit on 20% of their players, where if they just added more information, they probably would hit on 40% of their players. 
So to 50%. So which may not seem like a big deal, but it is in the grand scheme of things. You know, if you're only winning 20% versus 50% or 40%, then you're losing um, to a certain extent. But I also just feel with them, I I don't want to move on from Stafford, but I just feel like Stafford is, I mean, there's really nothing you can do at this point with a guy like him, but I just, I mean, it's, it's obviously something that's been said before, but well, I mean, he's not I mean, a guy that... Brett Favre and Blake Bortles had a baby. That baby would be Matt Stafford. Yeah. You know, has a lead arm talent. He's not exactly Jay Cutler in terms of riskiness of the football, but he's not exactly taking another step with his development either um, in, in terms of his team. So... I, I think in terms of what they need, I mean, defense is, is probably the biggest eyesore. I mean, if you just go down the list of the interior defensive linemen, uh, you look at their pass rushers, they have a team that's really great at stopping the run, but stopping the run doesn't mean anything nowadays in the, in the modern NFL. <laughs> I mean, it, well, not being able to stop the run is something that... They never adequately replaced the offense. No, even though they drew his name and dug him through the mud and, you know, said, oh, he wasn't really that great. <laughs> you know, like every team Sue goes to. Every team Sue goes to, it's somebody saying, oh, he wasn't really that great. He was just here for the money, you know, all this other kind of stuff. I'm like, really? Okay. All right. You know, they, of course, tried to replace him with Jorge Nata, who was older, so he was already coming at the end of his career at that point. And I like Damon Harrison. I like Snacks, but he's a run defender, you know. He's, yes, he's, he's an elite run defender. realistically a, a nose tackle. Yeah. You know, like, he's a guy you put as your nose tackle and they run more of a, you know, a 4-3, uh, you know, base. He, so He's realistically a middle guard. He would have been really, really good in the 1950s. Exactly. And then, of course, you look at their Linebackers, I mean, Devin Kennard, I mean, we've seen what he did in, on the Giants, right? You know, he's okay. And Jared Davis, of course, which I told everybody Jared Davis was a bad pick, but nobody listened to me. Um, I talked about his solo tackle data, and they made fun of me about his solo tackle data, but now it comes up. Like, he's not – his solo tackle data to me was a reflection of his football IQ. He's just – he's athletic but he just doesn't see the field at a very high level, you know. Ever since I watched it on film, I saw him play UMass, and he he let a a touchdown happen because he he took too long to process what was happening. So even if you run four or five, if your brain is still ticking and you can't start, then you're going to lose, you know. Of course, Christian Jones is a great story, but... You know, yeah. And, of course, their safeties are kind of iffy, and Nevin Lawson I like, but he's more of a slot corner. Yeah. He's also really grabby. And, of course, we all know what happened with the Tabor stuff this year. Um, and so who I've never was, was the biggest fan of um, on the film and, of course, you draft him really high because he played at Florida. You know, he ran, like, 4-7, which is not great. And now you're talking about moving him to safety, which is even worse. But, 
I think the Lions' biggest issue is defense. I think offensively they're fine. They have everything they need to be a decent offense. They could use some more wide receivers, of course, uh, to add to the mix, but I think the biggest issue is defense. Linebackers, safeties, cornerbacks, et cetera. Okay. And now that brings us to the somewhat resurgent New York Giants, who at one point were in the bottom three, or, you know, certainly had a shot at the bottom three. They were in the, at one point, even in the mix, with maybe even the first pick overall. They've gone on a bit of a winning streak. Giants fans are once again divided about how to feel about that particular win streak. Uh, they're... There are some calls for Eli to be brought back, and we'll see what happens with that. Whether or not he's brought back, they clearly need to address the quarterback position. So take me through it. Uh, If indeed there's no ability to take Haskins, either because he doesn't enter the draft or he enters the draft, but Jacksonville finds him wrapped up under their tree, Help me, uh, more importantly, help the Giants. Uh, what would Demetra Claus leave the Giants? Well, I think offensively it's pretty clear they need offensive linemen, tackles, yeah. interior. Um, you know, Nate, Nate Solder got paid a lot of money. I mean, this is what I know about the Patriots. They know their players, their self-scouting of players is, is at a really high level. You know, so if they let a player go, that's been a, a key contributor to them for a very long time. Most likely, their their career is pretty much over. You know, like Bill's just not going to let something like he he's pretty good at figuring out when this is pretty much about to you know like if if he was in charge of like a food company, you know, figuring out okay how much longer before this rot, he would be pretty accurate in terms of when that fruit is about to, you know, become fully, fully rot, you know, really can't eat it no more, expired. So, I sold it, I paid a lot of money to be their left tackle, and he just unfortunately just doesn't have it, doesn't have the same level of performance he used to. Um, that's what happens to players, they get older, and then eventually they retire. So, they need a tackle, uh, they need offensive linemen, of course. Uh, on defense, I do think they need better interior defensive linemen. I do think they need pass rushers, definitely pass rushers, because right now their starting pass rushers are you know, Olivier Vernon and um, Kareem Martin, kind of their big pass rushers right now, which is not that fantastic. Um, which I always – it blows my mind that Vernon got the type of deal he got where he basically was getting paid as a, as a top five. Uh, not even top five. Like he was basically paid Von Miller money, Bill. And I don't know about you, but Vernon's not Von Miller. No. So, which I yeah. never really get got that. Uh, of course, uh, I think safety wise, I mean, they definitely could improve at free safety. I think cornerback is another area. They, I mean, defense is definitely a big issue for them. The linebacker position has always been an eyesore for them. Um, even Alec Ogletree is there. Alec Ogletree has always been kind of eh. So, but I think offensive line is definitely a big thing because skill position-wise, they have elite skill players. I mean, Odell 
Beckham Jr. is amazing. Sterling Shepard is amazing. Like, you know, they, of course, Saquon Barkley, of course. Evan Ingram is a, is a, a great tool, you know, kind of chess piece to play with. They have all the sort of offensive pieces you want, but the interior line is not that great, and the defense is not that fantastic. So I think if the Giants got better, I think if they got offensive linemen and defense, I think they could become a much better team next year. And, of course, Eli Manning, I think, is is what it is. I mean, I don't see Eli Manning as a Hall of Fame player. I don't think you, you do either, Bill, but, you know. He's going to find a way to make him a Hall of Famer, but I really don't think he should be one. Right. Right. I, yeah. So there is certainly an issue uh, that there's one thing when a team is bad, but they're seen as a team that is sort of like a person who's doing it to, to make a big jump. You know, they're bending their knees, they're crouching down, and about to jump up. And that's a very different thing from a team that's bad and they've been knocked on their back. You know what I mean? Like, they're not crouching. They're lying down. And that's the issue. Mm-hmm. There are certain teams, you get the feeling that San Francisco is crouching. Like, they're getting ready to swing up. Uh, at least that's the, the feeling you get there. The Browns are a team that feels like it's coils ready to spring. The problem with teams like Oakland yeah. and Detroit and the Giants is they feel like they're on their back, like they've been knocked over and, you know, knocked off kilter, lost balance, and fallen. And, yeah, the Giants are a team that could use virtually every single thing that, you know, a football team can have. Uh, that brings us to another team that somewhat surprised to be where they are. They were sort of a sexy dark horse to contend in their division. Not even with all the wins. Super Bowl or anything, but they were a sexy dark horse to at least contend and possibly win in the NFC South, and Tampa Bay has done nothing of the sort. Now, obviously, they have looked good at times, and some of some of it with their back of quarterback, and once again, you know, it comes down to sustainability, but at times, the team has looked very interesting, very good, explosive, all that good stuff. Um, they're another team that's sort of in the discussion with teams like the Rams, the Chiefs, the Saints, uh, for the amount of sort of explosiveness they have in their, and the Falcons, uh, in their offensive skill group. Uh, they, once again, they have some issues with the running back position. Payne Barber at times has looked good. Ronald Jones had one good game. Uh, they could, Adam Humphreys has at times been productive in the slot. The tight end position has been a mixture of Bright, who occasionally looks good, and O.J. Howard, who had three or four good games, but has been battling an injury. Deshaun Jackson's probably towards the end of his his prime or at the end of his prime, but he still managed to produce unhealthy. Mike Evans is he's, he's a Batman. You know, he is a, a number one. He is um, you know, a Spider-Man, a Hulk, a Thor. He's a alpha at his position. So they have that fix worked out. Now, this is a team with a fascinating quarterback situation <laughs> for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, they have probably the best-known backup quarterback in the NFL right now, or at least one of the best-known quarterback of quarterbacks in the NFL right now. 
I mean, I just want to count former starters like Joe Flacco or Blake Bortles. But outside of those two, he's no, he's really no less than third and probably higher, actually. Now I think, now I think about it thanks to the, the press conference thing. But so, and a guy who at times was, you know, an absolute juggernaut at times at the quarterback position in, in their backup, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. They have a starter who at times has looked really, really good and has had both on and off the field inconsistency and problems. They have one truly great defensive lineman surrounded by other guys who are truly not great. They have one very good linebacker who has struggled at times with injury. Their secondary is, hmm, I guess, men is the word I'm looking for. Okay, that might have been, I guess, even more than <laughs> what I was looking for. Uh, and then their offensive line could use help. I don't like their tackle situation. Their starting left tackle is a guy who probably should be a swing tackle or maybe a right tackle. Their starting right tackle is a guy who probably should not be starting, should probably be quality depth. They have one good guard. Whoa. They have... Don't make fun of DeMar Dotson. Yes, yes. Mark and they have a... Yeah. Right, correct. And their center maybe... He was PFS... He was PFS uh, fifth best right tackle in 2015. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Tampa Bay, to me, I'm, like, done with Tampa Bay. Like, I I just, uh, I mean, I do, it's like every year it's the same story. The secondary needs improvement. The line needs improvement. The running back position could need some help. Like, it's, every year it's the same thing. The wide receivers are fine. The interior defensive line is okay. They actually have some pass rushers now. I mean, Carl Nassib was a great, you know, kind of pick for them, pick up in uh, free agency. But, um, I don't know, it's like the same story every year with them. I don't know if it's coaching or what. I do think the secondary, like I said, is bad, so they could improve that. I mean, there's a lot of cornerbacks and safeties in this class, so they definitely could get better that way, but um, I just don't, I don't know. I see Dirk Cotter probably getting fired at some point, for sure. And if they let Mike Evans leave in free agency, then you really got to start looking at... Oh, oh. they can't allow that to happen. To the meat. But they might. Um, they, they may or may not bring back their starting quarterback, but they cannot afford to – I mean, he is essentially the linchpin of their team on offense. They have two guys who are true alphas, Gerald McCoy and Mike Evans. And that's it. That's the list. <laughs> so letting one or two them go – I mean, then they really. I mean, at that point, you really have blown it up, Jim. You you've done a Raiders. I mean, you you gutted your team. 
if, if those guys don't come back. Mm-hmm. That's true, but it's the same thing every year, Bill. Like that's the Bucks every year. Well, the wide receivers, you know, the wide receivers are good, but if we just fix the offensive line and fix the secondary, we'll be all gravy. Every year it's the same thing, and every year it stays the same. So. Oh, right. Now, here's a team, once again, it's funny how the same record could feel so different. Buffalo's 5-9, and nine, but it feels like it's a good 5-9. You know what I mean? Like, all the, all the Bills Mafia, it's all hope, and, you know, better days are coming, and, you know, it won't be long before we're back in the playoffs, and then Brady can't play forever, and then we can win our, our division, and that'll give us a chance to maybe make a run to the Super Bowl. So what will it take to put the Buffalo Bills over the hump there, Jim? Um, well, I think when it comes to Josh Allen, uh, hmm. I really don't know what to say. I, I feel like this is a team that at the quarterback position is a shaky foundation. Um, so you could have, you could build as, as great of a team as you possibly can around them. And I don't want to compare Josh Allen to Tim Tebow, but I do see a lot of similar narratives about these guys. Is that they're they're great people, hard worker. Uh, and of course, the difference, of course, Josh Allen, you know, has much better arm strength. But I do think the inaccuracies are very similar in terms of just being inaccurate with the football. Um, and I just feel like, and of course, you know, 52% completion percentage, which when T- Tebow was playing, you know, he had about a 47% during his era of playing. And really, like, 52% is like 47% when Tebow was playing, um, you know, nowadays. And I, I just think you can't blame the wide receivers anymore, Bill. I mean, because, you know, I tweeted, I think I tweeted this out before. I'm, I'm like, Josh Allen just can't catch a break, can he? Like, his wide receivers are dropping his passes in Wyoming, and now they're dropping his passes on the Bills. Like, at the end of the day, I don't think your complete percentage becomes that bad because your wide receivers are dropping too many passes. Your complete percentage becomes that bad because you're just not a very accurate quarterback. And most of the wins he's had this season have been with his legs, but at that rate, he's basically like Colin Kaepernick with, less accurate football. Like, basically, he's like Colin Kaepernick who can't throw the football as well as he did. So, right. it's uh, it's just crazy. So, so like, I, I do think... With 90% of the speed, but 5% less accurate, is that what you're going to tell me? He's even less accurate. Like, I'd say 10% less accurate. 20% less oh. accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. I mean, Colin Kaepernick never really had a bad completion percentage. You no. Know? Or so I uh, do. I think the Bills will probably have some early success. Yeah, I think there's a possibility they can with a guy like him. But um, I think that we are in an era of passing the football is rewarded, like. 
this is, I mean, they, the way the NFL is now, you're rewarded to pass the football. All the rules are for you to pass the football. If you become a run-based team in today's NFL, you're basically shooting yourself in the foot, you know, because the rules are made for the pass. They're not really made for the run. You know, you can't really get away with as many things in the running game as you can with the passing game. So I just feel like Josh Allen is something where you're building your team around this guy, and I think it's just going to lead to a disaster. You know, you're going to spend three, four years, you're going to work and put your sweat and tears and have lots of days where you work like 16 hours a day in the coaching room, working on the film, trying to do everything you can to win this football game this week, and then Josh Allen just doesn't get it done. You know, and it's not because he's not a hard worker. It's not because he's, you know, a bad player or he's bad character. It's just because he just doesn't have the skill set to carry an NFL football team. So that's just kind of where I'm at with the Bills. Right. But and I'm not disagreeing. I understand Bill Mafia won't like that. Yes, they will Bill not Mafia like that. They won't like that, of course, because, they, you know, they're excited and all that sort of stuff. But, again, this, like – it's um, it's just not going to work. I just don't see how this right. is going to work long term. Well, either way, they feel set. So the next three or so seasons, whatever happens, they're going to feel that way, unless he has a career-ending injury. So for the next few years, they're not going to draft sure. another quarterback. Uh, they might take a, you know, a quarterback late, you know, as a possible backup, you know, maybe. But they they're going to focus on other positions. I'm assuming some of those other positions will be positions like running back, wide receiver, tight end. Uh, I'm not a defender of Josh Allen, but their skill position talent is kind of a melange of misfit toys. Uh, they have Robert it's Foster, five-star recruit who never became much of anything in Alabama. But he is very fast. Um, but Amari Cooper and others sort of passed him by on the depth chart at Alabama. They had a very productive tight end, Charles Clay, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. And guys like Jason Kroon have been, and um, former quarterback. Um, I mean, I'm not denying that, that Josh Allen doesn't have a great wide receiver court because he doesn't have the, the best wide receiver court. Or anything, yes. Not a great tight Not a great either. But what I am saying is you go out and you get all these great wide receivers and then the, the results are still the same or it's just a little bit better, but he's still inaccurate, then what do you do? Right. No, I'm following what you're saying. And, you know, once again, we've heard many of these same things said going back to his time at Wyoming. So at least part of his time at Wyoming, he actually had some pretty good receivers. Uh at least by Mountain West standards, very good receivers. And, you know, guys who were all-conference-type receivers. The Hollisters were, I think, second-team all-conference, or one of them was, at tight end. Tanner Jiffy was either a first- or second-team all-conference. I mean, and if we want to play that card, and this is the other thing, too, but if we want to play that card, let's look at, at who Baker Mayfield's thrown to. Antonio Callaway, you know, like, like, Rashad well, Perryman, Landry, the guy that people... Agent. Landry was a big money free agent. Joker was a fairly early draft pick. Uh, yeah. Obviously, John Gordon is out of the league game, and they traded him anyway. And Antonio Callaway is another 
I mean, I don't want to say he's on the path of Josh Gordon, but he is a guy with physical talent who has not produced at a super high level, at least in part, due to issues. Right. But then, of course, you look at Sam Darnold and his wide receivers. Yeah, that's, that's not a good situation at all. Their best receiver not probably... Not a good situation at all. Right. Probably could be another one. He can't stay healthy. No, he can't stay healthy. He cannot. But Sam Darnold has that wide receiver core that's bad, and yet he has, you know, 57% completion percentage. Right. So I, I'm, I don't know. I mean, there's still more to, to say about Josh Allen in the future. I just view him as a guy that is like Colin Kaepernick, but like a – you know, Not as accurate. Yeah. Right. You know. That brings us to another team that didn't expect to be here. The next two teams are teams that are – critical surprise teams, as we all know, each year there's always, you know, five or, you know, three to five teams that were in the playoffs, won't be in the playoffs, and three to five teams that were not in the playoffs the year prior will make the regular playoffs. That's been true ever since they brought in the wild card. So Green Bay, once again, obviously said a quarterback. They've been ravaged by injury at several positions, but – there's still some surprise that they've struggled to the, as mightily as they, as they have. So when, when uh, Geometra Claus flies up to the sleepy little hamlet of Green Bay, what will be left under the Christmas trees, the draftmas trees, I should say, sorry, for the Green Bay Packers? Well, I do, I do think defense is definitely a thing that they need to address. Offensive line, uh, the wide receiver position. I think the biggest thing for me with them is I think Aaron Rodgers needs a fresh start. Maybe, I, I don't know. Because something happened to Aaron Rodgers, Bill. I don't know what it was <laughs> exactly, but... He went from a guy that, you know, had a, a very good, uh, I don't want to say Sean Payton, but kind of Sean Payton-esque uh, kind of approach to the offense to backyard football, you know. Um, let me just run around and look for somebody to get open, you know, uh, type thing. And uh, because the offensive line and just, I, I don't know, the structure of the offense just wasn't really doing its thing. I think running back is not exactly an issue for them, but at the same time, I do think they need to stop Jamal Williams and and all that stuff right there. I don't understand why you're doing that when you have Aaron Jones on the roster, um, you know, for the future. But I I just feel like wide receiver is definitely a must. Offensive line is a must, and I think defense is a must. But the heart of this issue is Aaron Rodgers. I think he hasn't played – his best football in a long time um, in terms of just consistently week in and week out playing his best football. And uh, I don't know what the cause of that is, but that's kind of the root issue with the Packers is uh, there definitely is a lack of talent around him at different you know places, but I think he's trying to overcompensate for that um, 
too much, and as a result, he's become kind of a, a worse football player as a result, or at least a worse quarterback as a result. Do you think they need to also look towards drafting his possible replacements? Because that's been one of the sort of countercultural well, stories. I don't really know because the thing about the modern NFL is it's looking more and more like quarterbacks can play well into their 40s at this point. Um, I may be wrong, but I mean, that's looking like that may be the case because of how lax the rules are. Um, I would say lax, but how tight the rules are in terms of protecting quarterbacks. So uh, I don't know if you do that. I don't think you move on from Aaron Rodgers. I just feel like you need to try to figure out the root cause of the the problem. I think one is offensive line. I think two is wide receivers. His wide receiver core hasn't really been that fantastic in a while. Um, And uh, I think defensively they haven't been that great either, but I think the biggest, I think the biggest issue to me is is uh, the talent needs to improve, but also Aaron Rodgers needs to get out of whatever funk he's in. Um, and I don't know if that happens at another team, but uh, I, I don't really think you need to draft his replacement. But I do think there is like some some issues there that I can't really pinpoint as to what is causing him to um, not be the best version of Aaron, I guess. I don't know what that is, but uh, it's something that definitely is, is uh, a concern. Last but not least, uh, Derek Mandel has had some good games, but what do you think of the rest of the secondary situation in Green Bay? And if there are ways to address the rest of their, their defense or the rest of their secondary, uh, what positions and if there's particular players you can think of might be good ways to go to fix what ails them on defense before we move on to the next town? Sure. Well, I think, you know, pass rusher is something that they can improve upon. I mean, Clay Matthews is not the same Clay Matthews anymore. Um, you know, Tyler Frackwell, uh, Fackrell, uh is not exactly the best ever pass rusher. So, like, pass rusher is definitely somewhere they can improve. Um, they could get a, a 3-4 DN type as well. Max Crosby from Michigan, uh, well, not well, East Michigan. Eastern Michigan is a guy that I think could uh, you know, be kind of a good pickup as sort of a day three guy for them. Um, and they do like Mac guys in Green Bay, so you know, he, he kind of fit that kind of mold. Um, for them, uh, and also secondary would probably be another sort of, you know, cornerback safety. Uh, they need to play Josh Jones a lot more, for sure. <laughs> yes, all the time, all with Josh Jones. The next team that thought they were set at certain positions that may be less set than they thought and thought they might be contending for the Super Bowl, but clearly will not, at six and eight, and currently picking with the 12th selection, if we were to draft today, would be the Carolina Panthers. 
What would you do to fix them? Oh, with uh, which team? Oh, okay. There we go. Uh, I lost you. The Carolina Panthers would have the 12th selection oh. overall today. Another team that thought they were already going to make a Super Bowl run. Right. Well, hmm. I don't really know because, like, their team is really not that bad. Uh, I mean, interior, I mean, maybe G. I mean, uh, maybe. Hmm. Maybe safety, potentially, cornerback uh, position, of course. Um, wide receiver. You know, they could get find that new guy than Funchess. Because you know, Funchess is okay, but I think people got a little too overzealous with Funchess. You know, they kind of made him more than what he kind of is. I don't know, but everything really comes down to Cam Newton. And I think the biggest issue with Cam Newton is uh, he needs to, like, he's always been kind of the same quarterback in many ways. Like, he'll get hot, and then he's not. And then he get hot, and then he's not. And um, he just hasn't been the most consistent guy um, in his entire career. Um, and they definitely are putting more offensive play pieces around them, but uh, I just don't really know. Um, I don't want to say move on from Cam Newton, but I, I just think that he he needs to take a ne- another step, uh, if you will. Um, and I think the biggest thing, honestly, like the biggest difference between the Panthers this year and their Super Bowl run year was their defense, because their defense was below average this year. The year they actually went to the Super Bowl, it was an above-average defense. So I, I think if you just fix the defense, keep the offense the way it is, improve it, then I think they'll have a better overall result next year. And I think Ken Newton is pretty close to taking that next step. Okay. And now this brings us to the Denver Broncos, who there are no one of those teams that's sort of at a strange kind of crossroads. There are one of those teams where there's some people calling for cleaning house, firing everybody, blah, blah, blah. And there are some people who think, you know, we're just a couple of plays and a couple of players from being back in contention for the Super Bowl. So what will it take to put them back where they belong? What would be left for them on draftness by geometric law? Um, quarterback. This has been consistently the issue with the Broncos, is they, they, they don't have a quarterback. Um, Brock Osweiler was not the answer. Statistically, based on data, he wasn't that. They went into last year with a disaster of a quarterback rotation. Um, I mean, it was bad, Bill. I mean, Chad Kelly was in there. And, um, you know, they, they they kept rolling with the Northwestern quarterbacks who some people were. I, 
Yeah. And again, there's a lot of recency bias with him because he had one, he had a couple good games and people were like, well, so other than him, he's your only outlier, right? No, he's not an outlier. You'll see. Just wait a couple years. <laughs> you know, and so far it's played out the way it did, uh, you know, data-wise. So, like, it was just a, like, I don't want to say when I, when I did, because I did a Denver Bronco video last year in 2017, and I don't say I was depressed for the Broncos because I'm a Raider fan, but I was like, wow, you don't have anything. You know, there's nothing here. There's no, like, there's no, like, sleeper. There's, Kyle Slaughter was a guy that I felt like should have been given an opportunity to really take off there, and they kind of treated him like garbage, you know. I mean, they really did. You know, he's the, he was the best quarterback in the preseason, and then uh, you cut him, and uh, he ends up on another team. I mean, because you want to bring out Brock Osweiler. So, Quarterback is definitely the big issue there. I think if, as soon as they get a good quarterback on that team, they will be a much better football team. Um, I think the defensive pieces are there. I think offensively, I mean, they could get things here and there, maybe some more wide receivers, maybe some more secondary players, um, some more uh, interior defensive linemen, um, all these types of things. But it all really comes down to that quarterback position because they did technically, statistically, they got better with, uh, you know, with um, Case Keenum. You know, statistically, they did on offense. They got better than last year. But if they really want to take another step, they really need to get a more of a franchise quarterback, you know, in that position. So that's my big thing. If they improve their wide receiver position, if they improve, their offensive line, and, you know, they just get a little better here and there, then they'll be on the right track. But if they don't address that quarterback position, then, um, and, and I don't think this is the class to do that, but if they, again, if they don't address it, then they're going to continue to be in the situation they're at right now. Last year was the time to address that position for them. Now, now we're moving into the teams that have some hope. Uh, they may have been eliminated from the playoffs, but they maybe had a part of the season where they looked good or got hot or things like that. So from here on out, at least the teams are maybe inconsistent, but not terrible. And leading it off, well, uh, no, actually, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Here's another team that has been up and down and up and down, uh, never quite all the way up but never quite all the way down, and that is the Cincinnati Bengals, who also find themselves currently at six and eight. They could go six and ten. Best case scenario, they could go eight and eight, but either way, they will not be playoff bound. Or at least it looks like they won't be. The Bengals are a team that has, once again, some standouts in certain positions. Uh, when healthy, AJ Green is one of the top six or seven receivers in football. When healthy, Tyler Eifert, which is, you know, an oxymoron, but it's probably a top five to ten tight end. Joe Mixon is an interesting young running back. Uh, Gio Bernard is a top 20 running back. Uh, Gino Atkins is top four or five in his position. 
Then after that, it gets sketchy-ish. But William Jackson. Thank you. There we go, William Jackson. He's occasionally had bad games, but he's consistently good. Yes. Yes. Carlos Dunlap. Carlos Dunlap is one of the better power rushers amongst uh, outside pass rushers. Yeah, I ran out of guys, too. Well, Jesse Bates is having a good year for him. Jesse Bates is a rookie, obviously, but he's had some. He's had moments where he looks good. Um, you know, I'm not quite ready to anoint him a, a future, you know, all pro, but he's certainly looking like he's going to be a solid starter at the very least. Uh, William Jackson has been con- not con- always consistent, but has had good games and bad games. They, but they've got clearly, you know, some places where they have strengths. But they, like any team that's got a losing record, they have more weaknesses than strength. So when Draftmas rolls around Geometra Clause, what are some of the things they should look to unwrap? Yeah, with the Bengals, uh, I would say uh, quarterback position, I think obviously they can move on from Danny Dalton. Um, defensively, I think their linebacker position needs to improve upon. Mm-hmm. This is a good year for linebackers, of course, uh, in this particular class. Um, what else? Safety. That's the biggest difference is their offense has actually been decent. Yes. Defense. But uh, their defense has been a big issue. The defense has been one of the worst, if not the worst, against the run pretty much all year, if memory serves me correctly. And they haven't been great against the pass. You know, so they're either the worst or second or third worst. They've been no I think they've at no point been better than third from the bottom against the run at any point this season, if memory serves me correctly. And they aren't great against the pass. Isn't their bottom five or bottom six against the pass and their bottom three against the run. Yeah, which is not that great. No, 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 most certainly not. It would be interesting to see, you know, if they were able to, you know, maybe pair what they have in Jesse Bates with maybe Thornhill, right? A Bates-Thornhill safety tandem might be interesting. The problem with quarterback Yeah, Thornhill yeah, might be able to contribute for sure. Right. The problem with quarterback is likely where they're picking the best option is maybe Will Greer. I think it's unlikely that if Dwayne Hackett Captain does declare they'd make it all the way to pick twelve. No, I mean, Dwayne Haskins is more likely going to be the number one overall pick, so. Right. Yes. Right. Worst case scenario, even if he makes it past the first pick, I just can't see him making it past Jacksonville. You know, assuming somebody doesn't trade up, I think worst case scenario for him, he would go number five overall. And then the other quarterback needy team, assuming one of them doesn't trade up and jump over them at five, would either be trading back, you know, having missed on the guy they wanted, 
or they would talk themselves into one of the other quarterbacks, which also occasionally happens, as we've seen with, you know, E.J. Manuel and Christian Ponder, sometimes the team will talk themselves into a guy. So maybe after the address, the quarterback position, if they are able to do that early on, who are some of the players you think they might target in other rounds? Middle rounds or even late rounds? Um, uh, Manny Wilkins oh. is that guy for me, for sure. Um, yeah, of course, you already mentioned Will Greer, uh, Ryan Finley, uh, Brent Stockstill. Who I'm kind of on my own with Brent Stockstill, by the way. Well, I, I like but um, he could play in the right, he could start in the right offense. I think he would need the exact right situation. Right. That's why I really like that new expansion league they're doing because I'm thinking to myself, some of these guys going to end up in that league and they're going to do really well and go to the NFL, you know what I'm saying? Right. Um, but, uh, yeah. I, like, I feel like those would be the main players for me, okay. Manny Wilkins. And uh, Blue Group probably the only, only other option, really. Okay. And that brings us same state moving east and moving north, uh, so diagonally moving uh, across the state. We find ourselves in the land of Cleve, where if you didn't know better, you think they were a nine or ten win team based on the way that they talk about themselves, based on the way that they're sometimes talked about externally, and even based on the general zeitgeist, the milieu, the the humor, the I mean. Browns fans, I won't say giddy, I think giddy would be an exaggeration, but they are happier than I've seen Browns fans in many, 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 many years, Jeff. So if they want to take that next step and become an actual playoff team, what do they need? What would they need to unwrap under the tree on drafting day? Uh, with which team? To get the Browns over the hump. The Browns are currently six, seven, and one, and that oh. puts them right in the middle, you know, or right around the middle of the league, which is progress. So they want to get over the hump. Right. They want to become a playoff team. What what, what should they Honestly, uh, wide receiver, yeah. secondary. Okay. It's really about it. The Browns really don't have that many issues. Isn't that crazy? Left tackle. Yeah. Yeah, but they've they've kind of done a a resurrection um, with uh, Greg Robinson to a certain extent. If Greg Robinson at that position. Is, yeah, if Brent Robinson is a team to play today, maybe not a super high position, maybe not a, a three or four time pole bowler, but if he can be a guy who is dependable at the position, and they, I think they may still address the position late in the draft, uh, but they have obviously more pressing needs. So, 
Some people talk about wide receiver as actually a strength of the Cleveland Browns. When you say wide receiver, Jim, tell people why you're targeting that position for them and what kind of player you think would make sense. Well, they say it's a strength just because of Baker Mayfield. I mean, the the reality is they don't really have a Batman wide receiver. They don't have a um, a uh, an all-star wide receiver, if that makes any sense. It's basically like this. You give Tom Brady, Randy Moss, and Wes Walker, and you break records. So instead of just thinking, oh, we're fine where we are right here, give them a Batman wide receiver. You know, give them a – um, AJ Brown, give him a, um, uh, a Hakeem Butler or a Tyler Johnson or a Mari Cooper or somebody like that. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's kind of where I'm at. They don't really have a true blue, crazy, ridiculous number one wide receiver. They have a bunch of collection of dudes that are really good, but they don't really have that top guy. Right. They have a collection of dudes. They do not have, yeah, obviously the, the classic stud at the position. I mean, people are trying to find a home for a guy like Nikhil Harry or um, DK Metcalf or things like that. Where, do you think a guy like that might sit there? Yeah, I think Harry definitely... Um, fits the description. I know Pete might not like it. I don't know how Pete feels about Harry. <laughs> um, but uh, but definitely a guy like that, I think, would really improve um, their offense and take it to the next level. Okay. And next on our list, a team that's been at times naughty and at times nice, we now come to Miami, the home of Miami Vice. So, first of all, there are another one of those teams that's been sort of in quarterback purgatory, much like Cincinnati, and to a certain extent, even like Detroit. They have a quarterback, and the Titans, I guess, are in a somewhat similar boat, though they aren't as far down the river. They have a quarterback who has at times looked good, at times looked average or even below average, and has often been injured. Uh, he's missed something like 23 games in his in his whole career. I, please don't quote me on that. I'm going off memory, but I keep thinking I, I read or, or heard that somewhere. That's a lot, if that's correct, or even if it's close to that number. So, what do the Dolphins need to do, either to maximize their quarterback, which I guess is what they'll have to do, because because of the kind of quarterback class it is for a team that's picking where they're picking, they probably will have very slim pickings at the quarterback position. So in order to help the Dolphins make the leap from a mediocre team to an excellent one, what should the multiplies leave last into the team? Uh, I think when it comes to the Dolphins, they need a new quarterback. Any of the number of quarterbacks we've mentioned already can fit the bill. Um, I think Ryan Tannehill, his time has come to an end uh, with, with a guy like him. Uh, I think uh, they really need everything. They need offensive linemen. They, you know, the coaching is kind of a little off as well. Uh, I think the running back position is solid. 
but not great. Um, I think defensively, linebacker is a position they need to address. Pass rusher, like if Cameron yeah. Wake is, you know, you can only take the super soldier serum for so long, you know, before it starts having side effects. Yeah. Right. That's, um, I'm not sure he's jabbing tinfoil about their phone, but please stop. Uh, so, yeah, assuming the, like that. Okay, so assuming they somehow fix the quarterback situation, which, frankly, Jim, I don't think there's much chance that they do it, but assuming that somehow happens, the number two thing on the list for you was what? Was it offensive line? Was that what you thought was it, or second most pressing lead or need or pass rusher? What was the thing you would address either next after quarterback or if they could not address quarterback, what would be the the primary need that you would then address? Uh, pass rusher. Yeah. And who do you think, assuming that Josh Allen's not available, who would you who would you send down the chimney to them? Uh, well, polite. I'm oh, okay. Brian Burns. Um, Oshani Zeminis. Oh, okay. Levine. Yeah, yeah. As a, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Mm-hmm. Those are all good. But yeah, guys like that. I think they'd be clean of them. Okay, gotcha. And now we come to teams that are still, in some cases, in the hunt, as they say, still have an outside chance to make the playoffs. Uh, probably a diminishing chance, but at least, you know, it's somewhat a possibility. The Philadelphia Eagles obviously were a Super Bowl champion uh, less than a year ago. They have had some ups and downs this season. They have been decimated in their secondary via injury. They've had injuries to other places as well, but not quite as concentrated. You know, they've had a sprinkling of injuries in general to running backs, wide receivers, uh, offensive linemen, but they have had a ludicrous number of, I think they have played with something like eight different combinations in their defensive secondary. That is less than ideal. I think the only member of the secondary who has not missed more than one game, you know, one game plus this season due to injury is Malcolm Jenkins, is the only player in their secondary who has not missed, missed the game or more. I think everyone else has missed more than one game. I think they've had no one else miss other than that have missed fewer than two games. Everyone else has missed two games or more, if memories would be correctly. So take me through how, how would you, even in a town that might boo or throw things at Santa Claus, but they would be happy to see Jimetra Claus come their way if you could get them back to the Super Bowl. What would you give to them? Um, I don't want to say quarterback because I might offend some people, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, you know, defensively they can improve a lot. I think the the biggest thing that was revealed this year was depth at defense. Um, that's been a big issue for them. Um, at pass rusher, interior line, um, secondary, I think offensive line is another area they can improve, but, uh, 
I don't want to say the Eagles were a fluke last year, but I do think that they don't have the most depth, quality depth that no. other teams have. And I think that was yeah, that was issue that was revealed this year. Yeah, that was very much revealed this year that depth was a big issue for them this year. They, the drop off between starters and backups was dramatic, with the exception of the quarterback position, but the drop off was dramatic. At, at running back, the drop-off was dramatic at wide receiver, the drop-off was dramatic at offensive line, and it was extremely dramatic in their secondary. When they lost, I think they had two corners go on IR, like season-ending IR, like not coming back. They had, as I said, all the others, all their corners at some point missed <laughs> With the exception of the guys they've added in the last few weeks. But all the guys they left camp with, every single corner, even some guys who were on practice squad got activated and got hurt. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Cremon LeBlanc, who they picked up off the street, uh, has a time that looks good. But, I mean, Avante Maddox, when healthy, has played well, but he's missed time due to injury. Uh, Sidney Jones has been hurt, you know, once again, drink, you know, the old Sidney Jones injury drinking game. But, yeah, they, I would agree. Uh, I, I have lots of people I would suggest they take a look at. Um, they should probably double get in terms of secondary, uh, get at least one safety and probably a couple of corners in the draft. I would recommend that they go after at least one guard and one tackle, and then at some point add an offensive, I mean, add a, um, a wide receiver. Uh, the running back position is interesting in that, should J.H.I. come back healthy, with Wendell Smallwood going back to being more of a third down back and Corey Clement also being sort of a change of pace guy, they'll, they'll be back to having a, once again, I know you're not a huge fan of um, three-headed monsters, but that's how those teams do it nowadays, Yeah, uh, for better or worse. I mean, unless you have Ezekiel Elliott or Todd Gurley or, well, I guess no one has Creed Hunt right now. Unless you have, um, you know, the two aforementioned guys or Adrian Peterson uh, or who else is not in a total timeshare? Um, mm, hmm. uh, Philip Lindsay, to a certain extent, and he shares a certain number of snaps. He has the lion's share of the snapper he is. But for the most part, most running backs are in a three-headed monster situation where there's a, a third down guy and a power guy and a little bit of everything guy or whatever, or, you know, a main guy, but he shares, you know. So that brings us to a team that was kind of the flavor of the month until recently, and now that month may have ended, or maybe it's about the end, but the Colts. A team that was bad last year and good this year, not entirely, but at least in part due to the return of Andrew Luck. If that team wants to take the next step forward and go for being a team that is, you know, once again, just a little bit above average, wants to jump the jump into excellence, what would you leave under the tree for them to metropolis? Colts, Jim? 
Yeah, in terms of the Colts, uh, I would say I would say offensive line, but there definitely is like tackle position for depth. I guess is the best way to put it. But uh, I think defensively they can improve a lot. I think wide receiver they could get a couple more pieces there. But um, I think the Colts really proved this year that they are legit. So I think there's a lot of areas that they can improve depth-wise, but I do think that they're really, really close. So I think wide receiver or, um, you know, pass rusher maybe as well could be big areas that they can improve. Okay. Got it. Uh, And then that brings us to another team that, this is a team that might even make the playoffs. Uh, They are out of it, certainly. They are a team that might claw its way into the wild card. They're, I think, currently a part of a game out. Yeah, they're part of a game out of the wild card right now, uh, a half a game out. We have the Tennessee Titans, a team that has at times looked great and at times looked really bad. Uh, when, they look, when they're at their best, they look like a top six team, five or six team. And when they look bad, they look like a bottom 12 team. So if you wanted to help your friend Steve, good old Steve Morton, good old Morton, you want to put this team over the over the hump. You, this team's going to make a run deep into the playoffs. What geometric clause would you leave for the Titans under the tree? Oh, which team? I'm sorry. It was the Titans. Your friend. Oh, Morton. the Titans. Yeah, tell Steve that. Uh, the Titans are. To be honest, Bill, uh, their defense is great. Um, yeah. The offense, I think wide receiver could be improved a bit. Um, Mariota has been wishy-washy. Yes, they have. With them. Um, But uh, I'd probably say maybe some more pass issues. <laughs> Wide receiver position. Tight end could also be a big help for Mariota, too, to kind of give him, like, a big presence inside. And definitely a lot of guys like that in this class. I know a Hank and uh, Hilkinson and, you know, et cetera. So those would be kind of some areas we could look at, too. Okay. Yeah, I, when I think about the, the Colts, I also I agree with a couple of things. I think they could use, you know, a, a top-flight cover corner and a, a difference maker in terms of pass rush, either interior or exterior. Uh, you know, there are teams that I think would be, and even a guy like Cortez Broughton, who isn't, you know, a, a true pass rusher. He is a disruptive presence on the interior. He's a, you know, a guy that comes, you know, comes hard. Comes, he comes off the ball. He's one of the guys that really does a great job getting off the ball and just getting getting in there, and making a big mess of things. But yeah, I could see, I could see some of those guys making their way there. Uh, it would be interesting to see. I mean, every team, with a few exceptions, could also use help at safety as well. Uh, because of the kind of safety class it is, they probably wouldn't address the position until, you know, the later, the mid-rounds or later rounds, but I think they could use, you know, a little little boost there as well. So that brings us now to teams that are, at least for the moment, playoff teams. Uh, 
Uh, Minnesota is, at least for the moment, a playoff team. Uh, they need to run the table from this point forward to maintain it and not get you know, run down by another team. But the Vikings are another team that has at times looked very, very good, but they haven't been able to maintain looking very, very good. Uh, help the Vikings out. Get them, get them. I mean, this is a team that would really like to win a Super Bowl, as you probably have heard, Jim. Uh, the Vikings have been bridesmaids a few times in terms of the Super Bowl, but have never been bribed. Help them to actually close the deal. What would you leave for them, Geometrical? The Vikings, Jim? Jim? Jim, go with me. Jim? 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 Not needed. Give me just a moment here. I'm going to check on him.
Just trying to see if Jim is still with me. You still there, Jim? Well, what I will do is I will plow through the remaining teams, and if Jim is able to hop back on, that would be great. If not, we will keep going. Well, once again, it's one of those sort of drinking game situations. Um, stop me for this board. Tennessee is entirely sure what they have with Marcus Mariota, but Marcus Mariota is another quarterback who, sort of like Alex Smith, and you know better than Andy Dalton, but similar to Andy Dalton, in that there's that sense that there's something there, but maybe it's not all the way there. He seems to, as long as there's a certain kind of game flow, the ball's coming out of hands quickly. He's not having to drive the ball down deep often. He can do it, especially off of play action. But he's not being asked to do some of the things that some of the things that Patrick Mahomes asked to do, or that Ben Roethlisberger is asked to do, or even that Russell Wilson is asked to do in terms of consistently loading a team on his back and carrying it, and probably best that he doesn't do that. But when the team keeps the, you know, the defense keeps the other team from scoring too many points, the score stays, the score stays in the 20s-ish area, you know, they, they're at their best when they're asked to score somewhere between about 13 and 27 points as an offense. Where, where the defense holds the other team, you know, they don't do well in shootout, and that's not really their thing. They can win a game and even blowout even. Uh, when the defense plays the best, their offense can score a number of, good number of points if the defense puts them in advantageous situations like that. I would definitely focus this draft on, once again, another true number one rider team. They seem to have a couple of number twos. I think Taiwan Taylor is going to emerge as a solid number two. Corey Davis may well emerge as a solid number one. Uh, they have talent at the tight end position, but they don't have the guy at tight end. I think that's another position that I would address, probably somewhere on the third round or maybe the second, if TJ Hawkinson is available. And there's other tight ends that I was going to consider later if Hawkinson was not available. There are another team that I could see continuing to build the middle of their defense. They have one of the best young safeties in the game in Kevin Bayard. I might give him a partner in the later rounds to play with him. You know, a guy like Tank Kelly uh, would be an interesting pickup for them. He's a ball hawk, not quite the the power player that you have when you have a guy like, like Kevin Bayard. I would also perhaps consider talking their way, you know, a, a – maybe stepping up the backup position, maybe taking in the middle round, like Marcus Marion, who gives you someone with a very similar skill set, a, a guy with a lot of the same qualities that help Marcus Marriott, even down to the double M, uh, very similar qualities. Physically similar guy, guys who move around, can make some plays, can extend plays. Uh, other players that I certainly would consider, they seem to have the the workload figured out amongst the running backs. They're working out the workload in terms of wide receiver. I would probably also address 
at least one position in the middle of the defense, one one linebacker position, and maybe add one D tackle. Uh, then that brings us to the Vikings. The Vikings off again have a situation where I I would boost uh, at least one of the positions on the edges of the offense. And by edges, this is mean the edges of the line, not so much wide receiver or tight end. But I'm speaking specifically. One of the, I would add at least one tackle. Ideally, I'd try to find a starting left tackle. But failing that, I'd at least add a swing tackle to increase the, the depth and the quality of the depth. I would be targeting. Here. Yeah, okay, so I think Jim is trying to trying to jump back on, so let me see if I can Oh yeah, 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 okay. So let me see if I can. Jim? Okay, Jim was trying to dial back in. Uh, try again, Jim. <laughs> but moving forward, uh, a couple more teams. We'll very close this thing up. So amongst those teams that I would also mention where they might want to add, stockpile uh, more help, The Seahawks are a team that has seems to sometimes, you know, do it with mirrors. They've won some games where it seemed super unlikely they would win. A lot of that can be laid at the feet and arm of one Russell Wilson, who is a tremendous improviser. He also can function within the offense. He's the opposite of some of those what I call restrictor plate quarterbacks where the team can only go so far with them. He managed to take his team, frankly, beyond where they should be able to go. Uh, you need to give him some help. Obviously, I mean, I might add three offensive line players, at least two. I would also add at least one linebacker, a corner, and a safety. So, yes. So I guess I would add three offensive linemen and three uh, three different levels of defenders on the uh, defense side. If I had a draft pick left, I might also look to toss in there one more wide receiver. Their wide receiving core is quietly above average, but they, they really don't have the guy that terrifies you. They have good players, but they definitely don't have, you know, a true alpha at the wide receiver position. And, and I'm probably going to make Doug Baldwin super mad when I say this, but I, I think Doug Baldwin would be an elite-level number two receiver, 
be a battle, I guess, between him and Lockett to be an elite. I think they're both elite level number two type receivers, but would be a both would be sort of a lower tier number one. And that brings us to The Baltimore Ravens, who are in a fascinating situation, uh, we just saw them, we all just saw them win a game that probably a fairly small number of us thought they were going to win. Uh, another team that to some extent, quote unquote, does it with mirrors or does it with, you know, something unexpected, something unusual. So that being said, amongst the players I would like to see considered, um, I think that a guy like Devin Singletary or, uh, yeah, might be helpful to them. I would be interested to see them go after a guy like uh, Alex Wesley at wide receiver to give them a guy who has size and speed. They have a speedy guy in John Brown, but he's a smaller receiver. And the guys they have with size aren't exactly speedsters. I would like to see them add a running back. Like I said, a guy like Devin Singletary I think would be helpful. Um, Alex Barnes from Kansas State. They seem to like sort of those lunch pail type guys, tough guys. David Montgomery is another guy that, that I think would fit what they do and how they do it as well. Uh, Quality, once again, the classic quality depth. And they need to replace, uh, obviously. We've seen one of the greats of all time uh, in terms of pass rushers in, in Terrell Sugg, a future Hall of Famer. But even if he plays again next year, and, and who knows, maybe he will play and even play at a high level again next year, I would be shocked if, if he has more than one year left in him. So that's another position of need. And that moves us forward. We are now well into the playoff teams and nestled just a half a game away from Baltimore is Pittsburgh. And, of course, they can end up behind Baltimore if they lose a game. You know, so they're on the tightrope. But I can speak all too well to the need. Uh, they, they desperately need a, a top-tier cornerback. And no offense to Joe Hayden or whoever else they've been playing at cornerback. They, you can see the obvious difference between teams that have truly great corners in what they're able to do on defense and what the Steelers are not able to do consistently, at least on defense. If they had, I would address secondary first and second, corner and then safety, with the best players still left on the board. Once again, if somehow Julian Thornhill 
or someone like that's available, I would I would consider even a guy like DeAndre Baker. But if I could get you know a top tier corner right out of the box, and then even late I might add a guy who I think could be a top tier nickel like Kimon Hall from Tulane, uh, a a really talented project like Zarell uh, Henderson is a guy I would consider. You know, a guy who's a PSAC guy, obviously familiar with the state. Uh, he's a guy that I think might also, over time, become a really solid solid player at corner, even though he's obviously a D2, D2 kid, so it may take him a little while to, to adjust. Doesn't always, though. And then, obviously, offensive line. Everyone says offensive line is a strength, and I'm not disputing that. Their offensive line is a strength. But you don't just build your weaknesses, you build your strengths. I would add at least one interior, one exterior player on the D-line, and then somewhere probably in the late rounds, I would add a linebacker. Uh, probably, as a kid, like EJ Ijaya uh, from North Texas, as the game moves more towards space and speed, he's a guy that I think could be able to get space and speed, nickel and dime type linebacker, and I think there's a role, increasingly a role for guys like that. That brings us to Dallas. And Dallas is a team that I'll just speak to my own expectations. They've exceeded my expectations. I don't know how how they feel about their own expectations. They very much exceeded my expectations. Uh, They're a team that, once again, Jim would probably talk about the quarterback position. It seems that they think they're set at the quarterback position, so if they believe that, who might differ with them? I would address tight end as quickly as possible. If you have a quarterback who is sort of a top-level restricted plate quarterback, maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe he'll prove to be a top-tier quarterback, and I will, and I will admit that I was wrong. But what I've seen so far on Dak Prescott is he's at that top level of, once again, like Marcus Mariota, the top level of the restricted plate quarterback, a better version of the kind of guys that you see when you look at guys like, I think it's Tannehill sort of in that same discussion. But a, maybe a, a cut above, but not a big cut above, a slight, a notch above a guy like Andy Dalton, but not a big one. And so if you want to win a championship with a guy like that, what do you do? Well, you have to really build a lot around him. They have added their wide receivers. So now they're looking at the second round. Once again, I would definitely look tight end for them in the second round. Uh, their offensive line took a little bit of a step back. We'll see what's going to happen with some of the long-term health situations because Obviously, everyone's talked about Travis Frederick and things like that. I think it should not be forgotten that it looks like we're seeing, these may be temporary measures, but we might be seeing the beginning of some long-term or chronic injury situations, even with Tyron Smith. So once again, I would add at least one interior, one exterior offensive lineman. I would still be looking to add a safety, no offense to Jeff Heath, but I think he's, and of course, he's exactly the kind of guy that that he's solid, but you always look for someone who might be better. And sometimes he beats that guy that you think might be better, and you just tip your hat to him and, you know, keep up the good work. And But you want to keep pushing him because you think you can get better at that position. And obviously, linebacker went from being a weakness to a strength. They did a good job of drafting that, addressing that position. I might still address it once more late or even as in the undrafted free agent signing period just to add some depth and help you with special teams. And I think the last thing I would consider doing, uh, I mean, it looks like they finally, their special teams have taken sort of a step forward. 
I still would maybe look to bolster the return game. Uh, so that might be a receiver, that might be a smaller running back, might even be a defensive back who has excelled in the return game. Their return game has been not terrible, but certainly you know nothing to write home about. And we will now power through the, the last of the sort of playoff teams. That brings us there to New England. Uh, nine and five would be a banner year for most teams. Uh, a lot of people in New England are treating it like it's a, like someone in the family has died. It's, it shows you, once again, the Matthew expectations. They definitely need to address the quarterback position. Even if this isn't, and many people are sort of starting to say it might be the decline of Brady, even if that's not what it is. Let's say Tom Brady goes on to play great football for another year or two. Their backup situation, I mean, no offense once again to Bobby Hoyer, but it's not what you want. It's not ideal. He's not as good as, or as talented as Jacoby Brissett, and obviously there's less upside than a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo. They have to find another talented young quarterback, even if they hold on to Hoyer, uh, to be groomed, because at some point Tom Brady will retire. And I'll, I'll be very honest, another position they have to replace a retiring great may be tight end. Uh, this might be another situation where, you know, maybe a guy like, people talk about Noah Fant. I don't think Noah Fant's a guy I would take in the first, but maybe in the second or third, now it starts to make more sense to me. And he's not Gronkowski because he's not a great blocker or even a good blocker. Uh, he's a below average blocker. But maybe he can get coached up. They've done well, obviously, in bringing other guys along at that position. Uh, they're another team that could afford to start getting younger and faster at a bunch of positions on their defense. So I would definitely address that. and. You know, if if somehow Brian Burns or even um, a guy like Wyatt Ray actually I think might fit. I mean, Boston College kid, uh, smart, tough, big. Those are things that, uh, you know, Zach Allen. I mean, there's, there's guys that I think they'll try that I think they'll find uh, to mix into their rotation. And you might want to, once again, just always, you can never have too many quality offensive linemen. So I'd also try to find some quality that's there. That brings us to the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears right now are 10 and 14. They are a playoff team. They are a team that has won their division. They're a team that has a chance to be an 11 and 5 or 12 and 14. And I don't think even the most optimistic Bears fan was anticipating that, but the deals for Khalil Mack and some other things have put them in a great opportunity. Now, they've lost some draft picks, but with the draft picks that do remain, you know, sound like a broken record, but I would still add at least one more maybe slot corner type. I would probably try to add another tight end. Uh, they, Trey Burton is certainly, and they have uh, Shaheen, but I was one of people wasn't completely sold on Shaheen. I love small school kids, but I thought Shaheen might not be quite what they thought he would be. And once again, I'm talking late. I'm not talking early addressing of the position, but I think I might try to find somebody that's sort of a little bit between Gene and Burton. Burton, sort of an H-back type, former quarterback, outgrew the position. And then Shaheen, you have a giant uh, who I think sometimes struggles just because he's so big uh, to with leverage when he's trying to block and struggles sometimes just with, with quickness or, or, you know, being able to get separation because he is so big. Now, obviously, because of his size, he may not need that much separation. But I would still look to maybe address that position. And, you know, once again, broken record, but quality depth. Um, 
on the interior of the defensive line and interior and exterior of the of the offensive line. And once again, some of these players will probably be undrafted free agents. The Chargers are a team that I don't want to say they're this year's version of the Eagles, but a lot of things have gone well or gone right for them. And I don't think they should start to assume that those things will happen again next year. I think that they are set at a few positions, but they're less than set at a lot of positions. I still would look, once again, broken record, quality depth on the offensive line. I would look to, you never have too many pass rushers. Uh, once again, I would look developmental late. I'm not talking about somebody you take in the first five or five rounds, probably. There's about somebody in the sixth or seventh, a, sort of a flyer on someone that might be coming from a smaller school or might you know, uh, need a lot of coaching or might need to get physically bigger. Other people that I would, or, or other positions, they're another team that at some point should upgrade their backup situation. Philip Rivers is playing at a high level, but he's, you know, no spring chicken. Uh, so maybe in the middle rounds, I mean, Manny Wilkins' name was floated out earlier. Marcus McMarion is a name that I floated out. Uh, heck, even a kid like Kyle Shermer, uh, the aforementioned Brent Stockstill, uh, Easton Stick. I mean, there's there's going to be a few names available in the middle rounds just if you're a young developmental quarterback. Even if he doesn't end up being the, the answer at the number one position, he might give you an upgrade or, or help you to push your backup. They are reasonably set at running back. Once again, I'd probably look at an undrafted free agent, uh, priority undrafted free agent running back. That was some size. Uh, to you know, to be more, who might look physically more, even be a little bit bigger than, frankly, than what they have now in um, in Gordon, who's good size, and the other running backs are smaller. Last but not least, amongst the things I would look to address, no offense to Hunter Henry, but I would still look to address the tight end position. Uh, they got bailed out this year when Antonio Gates stepped forward, and you know, obviously was not in football shape, but soldiered on. You want to have a better option than that should next year something similar happen with Hunter Henry. Now we're pounding on the home stretch the last few teams. The Houston Texans, a team that I thought would be maybe 9-7, and 10-6, has already won 10 games. They may still have 10-6, but I think they will end up at least 11-5. They've accomplished an amazing amount, but their offensive line is not a good one. I would look to draft at least two players from the offensive line. One of them probably not a starter, but a, a guy who could play either guard and tackle or all of the interior positions. I look to add, you know, a swing tackle. Uh, so either a guy can play guard and right tackle or a guy can play left and right tackle and then also one interior backup. Uh, there is a tackle at Valdosta State who I like a great deal. Um, he's, a once again, a developmental guy, a guy you would need to maybe even park on the practice squad for a year while you get him up to about, say, 312 pounds or something. He's, he's a little on the undersized. You know, but here's the guys that would, you're looking late. You know, you're adding some depth guys. Uh, James Moore from Central Washington is a guy that, he's a former basketball player. He's a guy that he could be a right tackle, might go into being a left tackle. And a guy that I think could play right tackle who might grow into, who might, um, who might also be able to kick in and play a little bit of guard is Brandon Kemp. Once again, also Valdosta State. I mean, from Valdosta State and James Moore from Central Washington. 
A guard you might want to consider from Elon is uh, Olasameka Udo, big, powerful kid uh, who actually lost weight. He was 354 pounds at one point and actually has slimmed down to 336. Uh, but once again, quality depth. And that takes us to the Rams. Now, the Rams are a team that, you know, earlier in the season you might have thought they didn't have any, any, any holes, but it was revealed, obviously, they do have some holes. They're a team that I believe, once again, you know, some have heard this before, but I think they could use at least one, if not two, bodies in the secondary, uh, especially because of the way football is played nowadays. It is very difficult to survive injuries in your secondary, particularly if you have multiple ones, and we've already seen, we've seen it with them this year. Uh, their defense was a strength that became a weakness which injuries can do. It doesn't take a lot for you to go from one to the other. So in the middle rounds, I would take a look at guys like, um, you know, Nate Brooks from North Texas or uh, Wesley Bush. I spoke earlier of uh, Kimon Hall from, also from North Texas. They got something over there going in North Texas in their secondary. Uh, Julian Thornhill has been discussed. I don't think he'll still be there when they pick. Uh, here's a guy that I might want to see them target in the mid to late rounds. It's Darius Rooker from Troy. If you haven't had a chance to check him out already, I recommend you do so. He's a safety that can come down and and you know be a tough guy if you need him to do that. You know, bring some thump. But he also is a guy that's shown he can, you know, he can play. He doesn't have to be in the box. He can be in the box. He doesn't have to be in the box. He can play further away, you know, from the line as well. He can intercept balls. He can force fumbles. I just think he's a really impressive all-around safety in a, in a year where there's not a lot of those to be had. So what I would recommend is if you, even going back to 2015, playing against Mississippi State, I think that's one of the more impressive games he's ever played. And, you know, that's a guy I would, I would sort of target um, somewhere in the mid to late rounds. And the last two, Kansas City, New Orleans. Or amongst the last two, yeah, Kansas City, New Orleans teams that have a chance to go, you know, 13 and 3 or even 14 and 2. Uh, Kansas City has had gotten good line play this year. Uh, they have, obviously, they've lost a running back. Uh, obviously, everyone's aware of that. This is the place where I would actually pencil Daryl Henderson. Uh, he's not quite as physically powerful as Hunt, but he's even faster. And I think he'd be a really good fit for what they like to do in their offense. And then, like everyone, they could use help in the secondary. You know, once again, one of those, you know, if there was a help in the secondary drinking game, we'd all be about to pass out. And amongst the players, I would, you know, could see there, uh, Vontae Dorsey from Texas Tech is a guy that I think would be a nice fit for them. 
as a nickel, they might want to take at the very end of the draft maybe a guy like Takari Monroe, uh, a guy who can do a little bit of everything. Is Darnell Savage from Maryland? Those are guys I could see being on their on their wish list. And you know, once again, Stom, we've heard this before, but add some quality depth on the offensive and defensive lines. They they could use like everyone pass rush. Uh, they are a team that does have some pass rush, but they could use more. Uh, D Ford has had some good games, but some of the other pass rushers are either limited or older or both. So they could use a shot in the arm there. And then in terms of interior guys, uh, you know, Mississippi State has a couple of guys they could use uh, if they're looking interior or they're looking exterior, uh, I guess depending upon which one they chose in terms of focus. But if we're, if we're starting at least, you know, with addressing the um, the interior first, and they clearly, you know, at least have some love for Mississippi State D-linemen, as we've seen demonstrated in the past, I would not be shocked to see if they went after, well, here's a couple of guys, I think. I mean, Montez Sweat, I could definitely see him, you know, uh, finding a home there, he's a true a true pass rusher, a true you know sort of outside guy. Another guy who I think sort of fits what they like is Corbin Kafusi, who I don't believe. I mean, I, I think he missed enough games that he won't be able to to get a medical medical redshirt. And I think he has enough on tape that people know know what he is and how good he is and things like that. And then in terms of some of the other guys who may be more. I'll throw out one other name is sort of a, a good pure pass rusher I think might be a good fit for them is Jordan Brailsford from Oklahoma State. He's another guy that I, I've liked. And I'll throw out uh, Ronin uh, Bingham, who's more of a, a stand-up pass rusher and I think might be a good fit for what they, what they do or what they would like to do in terms of that. And last but not least, in the one of the Saints. This is a team that once again, you know, along with the Chargers at various points in the year, was declared to be the most complete team. They have a Hall of Fame level quarterback who looks like he's got at least one more good year left in him, possibly two. But I would still address the position in the draft. Uh, you, when you have a 39-year-old quarterback, no matter how good, well he's playing, you know the end is is nigh. You know, so you don't want to be caught unawares. He's I mean, every quarterback, every player, every player is one play away from having their season and possibly their career end. But at 39, your chance of injury and your length of recovery are both elevated. You know, you have more chance of, of becoming injured, and it takes you longer to, to stop being injured once you get hurt. So, you know, once again, not at the top of the draft, but more towards the middle round. I think this would be a really perfect landing spot for Brent Stockstill somewhere in the sixth round. Perfect situation. You know, you have your your mobile runaround kid in Taysom Hill. Now you have your more cerebral coach on the field type of Stockstill. So each of these guys has, have elements maybe of Drew Brees. You don't get all the things that Drew Brees brings to the table very often, unfortunately. And like we said before, you know, stop me heard this before, but they could use 
at least one or, or two more players in the back half of their defense. Uh, even if they weren't starters right away, and they don't have to start right away, they have talent back there. I mean, Bill Marshall Lattimore sort of had a, a bit of a sophomore slump. He's still a talented young player. They still have good players back there. Um, you know, Hayward, I mean, they have players. They have, they have a good players on defense. At every level of their defense, they have at least one really excellent young player. And that's frankly rather rare uh, to have at least one truly excellent player at every level of your defense who's young, who's you know not who's still ascending, and that's good news. Uh, they do have some guys who are not on the ascent, so the guys who are starting to head in the other direction, and they'll need to deal with that. They're pretty much set at running back, though. Once again, you you always want to you know draft even if it's just for special teams purposes or depth purposes or pick up an undrafted free agent late. I still think they could use a pure speed receiver, and there's plenty of those guys to be found. Once again, I keep mentioning Alex Wesley because he's got size and speed. I think he certainly is someone that could or should be considered if they decide to address that position. They're not terrible at tight end, but they have Josh Hill, who's somewhat limited, and then Benjamin Watson, who is, if not the oldest tight end to see as much as many snaps as he has, I think he is the oldest tight end to play as many to play as many starter snaps. So they're yet another team that I think would would be wise to to draft a tight end. Uh, it can't hurt, <laughs> and it would probably probably help. It'll be interesting to see as if this team does make a deep run into the playoffs you know, which obviously they've only done really once. I mean, their other Super Bowl years, the only other time they had a deep playoff run. They, the franchise has been in the playoffs really, you know, until recently, only a handful of times in the history of the franchise until Freeze and Peyton teamed up. You know, so there's obviously the world-famous playoffs, you know, everyone talks about, about that, but Mora had some success with the old Dome Patrol and, you know, guys like Bobby Hebert and, even Aaron Brooks playing quarterback, but it's a relatively recent thing that this team has had really high-level, consistent quarterback play since Breeze came as a as a free agent from San Diego, the then San Diego Chargers, now the Los Angeles Chargers, in order to make room for young Philip Rivers, who was the kid back then. I mean, that gives you an idea how long Drew Breeze has been around, that he was moved on down the road to make uh, room for, you know, the young Philip Rivers, who I think then was paired with, you know, one of the older quarterbacks at the time, Doug Flutie, who I think became his backup once Breeze was moved. There is a window, and everyone talks about windows, right? I mean, that's one of the great obsessions that people talk about is windows. How long is your, how big is your window, wide is your window, long is your window, whatever, how much window do you have? Well, the Saints window would seem to be probably two years. Uh, once again, I'm just guessing. It's possible Breeze will play longer, but this year and next year. So if they either got to the Super Bowl and lost or didn't get to the Super Bowl and Breeze decided to come back for at least one more year, and I think that's what would happen. And even if he does win, he might decide he wants to come back. But I feel pretty certain that if he doesn't win this year, he would to come back. That means this draft will be a very important one because It'll be 
essentially you're fighting your last shot. So that means that the 2019 draft will need to be one that has at least two or three players that will have significant, even if they aren't full-time stars, significant impact, so that when an offensive lineman gets hurt, when a starting safety gets hurt, or you know, pick a position, and, and an important impactful starter gets injured, you'll need to have someone that you know can go and play that position. I mean, this might be a place where one of the defensive linemen from Clemson, you know, I think people are thinking, some people are thinking, well, this guy's going to go early. Cleveland Farrell might go in the first 16 or so picks, but I have a feeling the rest of them will go late first to mid to late second. And it's just a feeling, but I have a feeling. You know, and the people saying, you know, why did they drop, blah, blah, blah. I, I just think that the, where the market actually is for them as opposed to being, you know, at the top, top, top of the draft that some people think it might. And I think beyond Quinn and Williams, I mean, I think there are some excellent defensive players in Alabama, but I won't be shocked. I know some people will, but I won't. If some of those guys, I won't say slide exactly. First of all, medicals, and I hate to paint with a broad brush, but we all know that they have a very tough, physical, old-school approach, which has its advantages. But the disadvantage is that a lot of them got to play through injury, sometimes reasonably significant injuries, and so they find those very often at the combine. Oh, oh yeah, I tore my labrum, but I played through it. Oh, I had a rotator cuff or capsule injury or a you know, partial tear of this ligament or whatever it is, and I just played through it because Alabama is what we do. Um, but a lot of times that would be the kind of thing that might move a guy down seven or eight or sometimes even more you know, type of injury and how it's healed and scar tissue adhesion, whatever it is, what it looks like, you know, when they actually get in there and take a look. So that's what I'm thinking as draft misapproaches, uh, you know, that Geometra Clause will hopefully be delivering to all the, you know, all the deserving uh, boys and girls and franchises that are awaiting, uh, you know, the things that might help them to either go from being, you know, bad to average, average to good, good to great and, you know, great to, to champion. Once more, I wish to completely and heartily thank everybody who's ever listened and supported and uh, any of the guests I've had in the past, so that includes people like Chris Shanafelt, who does fantastic work. If you aren't following Chris Shanafelt, uh, it's at Christian Shanafelt. Last name is S-H-A-N-A-F-E-L-T. Uh, please give him a follow if you care at all about small school prospects. Um, Jason Ingstrom is another great guy. Uh, haven't had him on yet this year, but I'm going to, going to try right before or hopefully soon before the FCS championship and try to uh, have Brian McLaughlin and Jason Ingstrom on, maybe even Christian. That would be great to have a whole small school uh, roundtable. Uh, I've had, obviously, years ago, but Alex Brown uh, was a regular part of the show back in the day. He's now a very important part of the success they're having at the H-Town Takeover, University of Houston, recruiting uh, the number two guy there. Uh, yeah, obviously, Donovan, who's been sort of our recruiting guru, speaking of recruiting, uh, not available this day, but a guy that will be with us 
in the future and that we massively enjoy having on. We briefly had Isaiah C. with us. He likes to jump in and toss a few things around and then dip back out. And I'm probably forgetting. Oh, uh, our SEC guy, Steve, right? Steve uh, Morton has been with us uh, in the past and hopefully will be with us in the future. Occasionally we get the uh, a sighting of, of Mark the Shark, uh, my friend down in Tampa, Mark Chisholm, who uh, always appreciated whenever we're able to have him. Uh, I'm probably forgetting people I should be thanking. Uh, if I've forgotten you, oh, we had Anthony and Miko on, I believe, at the beginning of the year also. Uh, Bradley Italo, we've had him on at least once, and I plan to have him on again in the future. And that's, like I said, I've probably forgotten somebody. I apologize if you were somehow forgotten. It is not my intention ever, 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 ever to neglect or forget anybody. Uh, we've had an amazing community of, of college football and draft experts join us over the years, and you know this show would not be possible or very good uh, without your contributions. So to each and every one of you, thank you, and to everyone who's listened and contributed, or everyone who uh, you know just listened, or even had questions, criticisms, etc. I want to thank you all. Wish you all the very, very best. Uh, wish you Christmas, if that's what you celebrate, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, uh, or if you don't celebrate at all, I still hope that you'll have a wonderful rest of this year and a great, great, great next year. And finally, uh, I think the last thing I will say as we close this one out, I am reminded every now and again just uh, how blessed I've been not only to, like I said, know all the great people and work with the great people with whom I've had the, the pleasure of working, but you know, I've been blessed also to be exposed uh, to a lot of great young men so we're going to soon be doing prospect interviews again. And I want to thank all of them, the ones we've had in the past and the ones that we'll have in the future. And once again, that's another uh, one of my favorite parts of this. Thank you all. I hope you all continue to be um, blessed with health, with surrounded by love, and that you will all have the chance to continue to improve yourselves going into next year. Take care. Recording started. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.